Making a reappearance without a copyrighted song. Now I'm ready to fuck. Thank you. Yeah, but I'm back, everybody. Hey, this is uh. So. Oh, what happened to the the show that I was gonna take over? What happened to that's, that? That's literally what we're doing today. Oh. Did you really, hey, did you really not know? This is my show did now. Did you really not know that today we're doing the, the Frowns show? I forgot. It's been a while. I, I, it's I been agree. a while. I agree. I know. But yeah, uh, today is the mandate. You know, the date that everyone's been waiting for. Uh, it's Frowns McBoohoo's uh, Christmas episode. And I promised him last year that he's going to take the reins on this one. And, you know, I... Uh, I, I relinquish all the rights to host this show from, from this point, from really, really from this point forward to, to Frowns McBoohoo, who is my guest today. But I did want to inter- introduce him because you might have seen him on our Let's Plays, and that's because that's online. And to give them a shout out again, we are posting Let's Plays. So search your lost apostas, your lots of apostas on YouTube Give us a follow, give us a subscribe, like our videos, because if no one does, I'm going to stop making them. So, <laughs> get over it. takes work. It and, takes time. And guys, listen, we're playing Phasmophobia. Who, who doesn't want to yeah, see it's fun, fun to watch. Ghost? Honestly, it's fun to watch. It's, it's, fun to, it's fun even for me to watch when I completely disconnect and forget that it's me I'm watching. Yeah. So... That's how my psyche works. I don't know if that's how anyone else's psyche works. I know Crying Hawaiian once told me that he can never listen to his episodes because he never wants to hear his own voice. I mean, I kind of disconnect completely. I don't like to hear my voice at all. You have a good voice. No, I don't. <laughs> you, yeah, you do. Nah, son. Unless <laughs> it's my dear. No, don't do that. <laughs> no, don't do that. Although, at that point, that's probably a shout-out to the third episode that's up on YouTube right now. Hey, if you're a fan of Medea, Medea goes to oh hell, Medea <laughs> does Santa. Best moment in the uh, in the video right there. Medea hunts ghosts. Medea ghost hunting. Yeah. You, you, so, you get to see you've so probably good. seen Frowns. You might not have felt his absence, not really, because he's been on every episode of the Let's Play so far. Um... For phasmophobia, at least. But 
he hasn't been on the podcast in a in a good while because he's been out of the state. He's been gone for a little bit, but he's he's finally back from the Great White North and my uh, hidey hole, and, my North hidey hole. And he forgot what we were doing today, which is you know we have to record this earlier, so it might not feel like Christmas, but it's December, like. I did all my shopping. It's right around the corner, you know. Yeah, man. I'm saying I'm I'm, I'm looking at jingle bells. <laughs> you're looking to jingle some balls. Don't you're you're doing so many negative things to your throat right now, and then at the end of the episode, you're gonna be like, "I'm tired. <laughs> I, can't, I can't. I can't talk. Anymore. I can't play." Joel's denim adventures. <laughs> I don't know you if we're doing that either. You think you're ready for another Let's Play? Yeah, that's probably not out yet. <laughs> Me and the captain, uh, we have something special cooked up in the works for think, you guys. I think they know. I think I've mentioned it before, but I'm playing through Last of Us with Franz McBoohoo. So that's, if you're excited for some post-apocalyptic adventures between uh, an old man played by Franz and a young cynical girl played by me, then join us on our adventure with Joel. Joel and Ellie through the uh, post-apocalyptic wasteland. Uh, that is Last of Us Part 1, and hopefully, uh, eventually, Part 2, uh, which is kind of what we're working up towards. I know, um, I don't think you said you had the chance to go back in and play Part 1 before replaying Part 2. Oh, no, I did. Oh, you did? Yeah. Okay, because that's what, essentially, that's what I was trying to do, and then... <laughs> Once you came on board, I didn't want to do it without you. And then you left for like two months, so I had to put a pause on the entire thing. And now I haven't even touched part two, and it's almost Christmas, and it came out months ago. It's it's the type of game I've been waiting years for, and I've been holding off on it for you. <laughs> because, you know, let's let's be real. Anything I touch turns to fucking gold. And then <laughs> Thank you, you. And then you can't fucking leave it without me. Like, so I, give I, a shout out to our YouTube. <laughs> so, so, uh, hey guys, this is Frowns, and, uh, I know you've been <laughs> really great supporting me on my my OnlyFans for nine ninety nine. you know, I am jerking off onto everything at this point. Uh, shout out to Kitty for, uh, possibly sending me something to jerk off onto. I, yep. I thought I read that in the forum, and I was like, wow, this is a dedicated fan who wants to see me masturbate. And if all of you enjoy watching me masturbate, come over to our YouTube channel. Lots of pastas where I'm in everything. So, I mean, watch us. Let's play. Some people, some people even listen to the podcast over there. So good for you guys. Um, but definitely if you are not a watcher of our material, what the fuck Get is over wrong there. with you? Get over there at least for the uh, at least for the let's plays. I don't know if I'm gonna do something for episode 200 yet, but I might take pictures and make Ooh. that and make that episode a little bit more three dimensional for you listeners out there who've really been into it. I might take pictures of the board and timestamp oh. them along with the gameplay to show nice. people what we're doing. To show people what we're doing, I can't do a video. I can't do a video. There are too many chances that people's faces are going to be seen, and I don't want to be, I don't want to be that guy. We're you know, incognito. I, yeah, you know, we're we're playing a game together, but it's still under the the veil that is lots of pasta. You know, it's a game I created for the podcast, so I want to be able to show people. That was always the hang-up with the Thing game, is I can never show the people who yeah. listen to our show what the Thing game is. I can explain it, I can talk about it, and I can maybe post some vague video online, but I can't I can't show them that. What I can show them is a board game I made. Yeah. So maybe some pictures. 
Um, that, if, that'll make that more fun to watch. And uh, leave a comment uh, when you post this if you want me to jerk off onto the board game when yeah. it's done. Yeah. I will do that. Nine ninety nine, still going strong. Help support me. Listen, I know you could go on Pornhub, right? I get it. You could go to your local porn websites, but when you subscribe to Frowns' OnlyFans, you're supporting a local business. You are supporting a local business. You're supporting a family business. It is It is a family... Because all my cum is technically me, too. Mess. <laughs> it's my babies. They're my babies. Yeah, no, but my cum is my babies. My cum is not your babies. That would be weird. <laughs> Daddy always gets a taste. No! <laughs> All right, friends. All right, so so my episode, right? So Browns, yeah, so this is your so, Christmas episode. Yeah, this I'm, is, I'm fucking... This is A Very Merry Pastas Part 7. We've been doing this for four years, and you finally... I just... I picked the stories we're reading today, but I'm going to let him do, <laughs> do, uh, do any of the decision-making and any of the work. All right, that sounds great, without any of the editing work that has to go into it after. Thanks, <laughs> man. I appreciate yep. it. Yep. <laughs> oh, uh, also, um, just it's great to be back. Yeah, happy, happy to have you. It's been a while. We, uh, I did some interior decorating. Um, the PC's looking, looking solid. Yeah, it's really looking dexterous, great. you know, as, as a good word. Um, you know, I just gotta clutter, I gotta fix that clutter in the corner. And I gotta get my swivel desk. Yeah, no, man. And then we're in business. And the receptionist was really nice. She gave me coffee. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and I didn't have to pay her to spit on me, which was right. uh, which was great. Right. The last receptionist was uh, kind of a cut. Oh, Elaine. I can't. I couldn't stand Elaine. She was she was awful. I had to pay this woman to spit on me. Yeah. You know that, ladies and gentlemen, I had to pay her to spit on me. She should be paying to spit on me, because mm-hmm. you know I'm Frowns McBoohoo. <laughs> I'm iconic. Yeah. Yeah. I am fantastic. <laughs> if you say so. Yeah, fuck you. All right, so first story of the day. Something that Captain Death is not a perfectly behaved bar. <laughs> Where's the story from? My ass. Good. It's Did from you, are, Creepy Perster. Are you reading this or am I reading this? Um, You're the host. Do you tell me? Oh, fuck. And, and do you want to talk about our Christmas episodes at all? What do you want to talk about before we get in? Christmas. Okay. What do you want to talk about? You, you Christmas. You weren't ready for this, were you? No. Hey, <laughs> Christmas. Y'all remember that song about the boy buying the shoes for his mom when Christmas she dies? Shoes. And it's it's really so cold sad. It's so sad. I think that's my brother's favorite Christmas song. He's what, real fucked up. <laughs> what's your favorite Christmas movie? I would have said White Christmas, you know, for, for all the white snow that he's snorting. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. He is a drug problem. Uh, <laughs> what's, yeah, what's your favorite Christmas movie, Mr. Deaf? It's tough to say because I feel like on one hand, if I were to be serious, I'd say something like, I don't know, Jingle All the Way. It's just a fun... It's a fun fucking watch every yeah. time I watch it. I'm, I'm over Elf. People killed Elf for I me. I hate Elf. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Like, people ruined that for me. Like, I think... I think it was put on in, like, middle school just too many times, and I just could not handle it. Um, if you were to ask me up front what my favorite Christmas movie was, I'd probably say Gremlins. I've never seen it. 
It's a fun time. It's a fun time. This kid gets uh, gifted a little pocket monster, and it comes with some serious side effects, and it stays cute the entire movie, and it's a fun little furry guy, and, uh, you know, we all need one of those in our lives. That's like when I got gifted a pocket watch, uh-huh. and um, uh-huh. it, t- it turned into Cogsworth and, <laughs> and raped Oh, me. Sam, Sam. Oh, 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 what are you doing? Oh, <laughs> No. <laughs> Good. Thanks. <laughs> my actually, my favorite Christmas movie. Yeah. Not that you asked. No, um, I, did, I didn't. You're right. It, uh, is uh, Bells Enchanted Christmas. <laughs> it's just funny because the last episode we had you on was the the Disney episodes. Yeah. Which was so long ago, but that, like wow, is really only. 10 episodes ago. Yeah. Pretty much 10, 10 or 11 episodes. And also, just, you know, if you, none of you guys know, if you're a Tim Curry fan and you yeah. didn't know Tim Curry Organ. was uh, fucking Forte in that movie, mm-hmm. what are you fucking doing with your lives? <laughs> and I'm really ashamed. Frown shame. I, can I admit what I forget him from sometimes? Uh, Fern Gully. I actually did forget he was in Fern Gully. That's another good Gully? movie. Yeah, he played the toxic slime. He played the ooze. Okay, I was going to say Legend, the Ridley Scott fantasy movie. I always forget that he plays that big-ass devil, but it's because he's under so much makeup. Yeah. His eyes look different, his mouth looks different, the fucking, like, fake physique they put on him makes him look so crazy. I forget that he's under there. Like, Pennywise, you can still see the Tim Curry. Yeah. Frankenfurter, you can still see the Tim Curry. Mm -hmm. You, You arguably see too much of the Tim Curry. But, like, I don't know. When he's doing just a voiceover role or a role where he's under that many prosthetics, it's hard to remember because he's such a goddamn versatile actor. Yeah. And Clue. Who could forget about Clue? Right. He's a good guy. He's a, he's a great guy. And before that, he did a lot of stage acting. Mm-hmm. He, in the original cast of uh, Amadeus on stage, he was Salieri. Not surprised, no. honestly. Because um, uh, the guy who did... Rocky Horror was uh, a stage director. Um, Brian... Brian's Brian. <laughs> it's not his name. Brian's... We call this man Brian Squared because he's got Brian two times in his name. But back to anything about me. Frowns McBoohoo show. Yeah. I'm so happy to host this. Yep. I wish I had more dicks to hand out like Oprah. Because you would all be getting dicks. You got a dick. You got a dick. But I would then take them back. Because I'm a dick giver back. (laughs) Dicker back. Indian Indian dick giver. Dicker Dickerson. (laughs) (laughs) All right. The perfectly behaved boy. Just jumping right into it. The burr. Not going to talk about it at all. The burr. It's from a creepy pastor. And uh, who did you plan to like read this? No one. These stories I picked for you. All right. Well, you know what? You haven't heard enough of my voice in a little bit. Oh, who did you want to go first? Like, did you have a plan? I I did plan to go first, but oh, all right. Well, I I well, you know, all right. Because you're hosting. Oh, oh, okay. All right. Well, you know, I'm the host uh, with the most in my asshole. So while I fish all that out, I'm gonna take a step back. And I'm gonna let this boy Ryder read this dead door. 
And it's called a bird, big bird, bird. <laughs> and it's a creepy <clears throat> bird there. Go. The perfectly behaved boy from Creepypasta. There was once a very well-behaved eight-year-old boy named Miles. He did all the things that good children are supposed to do, nearly all the time. He ate all his vegetables, unless they were carrots. <laughs> the cunt. He completed all of his school assignments, except for that one time he forgot to finish his homework. He was always nice to his friends, unless you count that one time when he yelled at his schoolmate, Tony. <laughs> he tugged on his wiener in the bathroom. And he never spoke back to his parents or got mad at them, with very rare exceptions. Yes, he was nearly perfect, and he was a joy for his parents to raise almost all of the time. I'm gonna, I'm gonna call this right now. He's a gremlin. <laughs> no, wait. He's a pocket watch. <laughs> oh, oh my! Oh my! <laughs> <laughs> the boy existed more than 30 years ago. <gasps> Why now he's a man? <laughs> Why now he's a full grown clock? <laughs> <laughs> Shit. <laughs> and in a manner of speaking, he still exists. That boy, he's me. And he will always be a part of who I am. I can remember every transgression I made as a child. Not only because there were so few of them, but because they ended up shaping my life in a way you can never imagine. Of all of my misdeeds, the one that stands out the most vividly is the very last time I yelled at my parents. The funny thing is, even though I can remember being mad and I can remember every word I said, I don't recall exactly why I was upset. When I try to think of the reason, it's like looking at a blank sheet of paper in my mind. I can tell you that it wasn't anything that my adult self would find consequential, but I know it felt important at the time. It was two days before Christmas. And the words I spoke felt foreign at the time they came out of my mouth, probably because I'd never said anything quite like it before. Go away! I don't want you to be here anymore! I don't want you to talk to me ever again! I could see the hurt in my parents' eyes as I unleashed my tirade toward them. Even now I'm surprised at what profound effects my words from an eight-year-old self had on them. Their dismay was mixed with obvious shock upon hearing me lash out. My mother had a look on her face that was confused, sad, and angry all at the same time. My father was harder to read, but I knew he wasn't happy. Sadly, the looks on their faces are among the last memories I have of my parents. Their distraught scowls are burned into my mind. Two visages that are now a permanent part of my psyche. I think the mom was just more confused at how she popped a fucking pocket watch out her pussy. <laughs> By the time that Christmas Eve came around, all had been forgiven. Whatever the issue had been, it was resolved. My mother cooked a special ham for dinner, and we had a roaring fire going. The house was warm and extra comfortable, and in the hours after dinner, I sat and sipped from a mug of hot cocoa with peppermint. I no longer believed in Santa Claus, but that didn't stop me from feeling a natural yuletide excitement. I fell asleep that night staring at the dazzling lights and shiny ornaments that clung to our Christmas tree. I vaguely remember my father carrying me to my bedroom and giving me a little kiss on my forehead. On his pee-pee. I awoke later that night to the feeling of someone poking their finger into my back. Wake up, kid! It was a voice I've never heard before. A man's voice with a slight drawl 
My eyes opened widely, and as I instinctively rolled out of the bed in an outright panic, I fell to the floor and screamed to my father. He's got a draw. <laughs> I was trapped in the corner of my bedroom. I could see the man's silhouetted figure looming clearly in front of me. A small red glow came from a cigarette in his hand. I froze in fear of the stranger who had invaded my home, and the man spoke to me again. Quiet down. He can't hear you right now, anyhow. He put his cigarette to his lips and inhaled deeply. <laughs> and as he did, his face was illuminated by the red glow, and I could see his deep-set eyes, his dirty fingers, and his long black hair. But kid, I can't hear you. I can hear you better than anybody in ways you can't even understand. He pointed at the side of his forehead as he spoke. I didn't reply, but even through my fear, I could help but wonder who the man was. <laughs> he nodded as if he knew exactly what I was thinking. So, you'd like to know who I am? Well, I'm the guy who's tuned into your mind. I'm the guy that's been around for a long time. And most importantly, I'm the guy who gives kids what they ask for. I'm afraid to ask what he thinks I want. <laughs> <laughs> He looked, straight, <laughs> he looked straight into my eyes, invading my mind and reading my thoughts. No, kid, I ain't saying. Uh, you stupid. <laughs> he was agitated. <laughs> you stupid. Do I so really? Loud. <laughs> so loud. I'm just being mean. <laughs> Do I really look like that fat fucker? <laughs> No, man. I'm much better. I don't judge and I don't discriminate. I give kids what they ask for. The good kids and the bad kids. I finally found the courage to speak, even though he seemed to have no trouble answering my questions before I even asked them. I, I didn't ask you for anything and my voice trembled as I spoke. <clears throat> sure you did. You wanted your parents to go away. I heard that loud and clear. Loud and clear. Not very nice of you. I'd say that makes you a little bad boy. But don't worry. Like I said, I don't discriminate. But I don't want them to go away. He shook his head. You said it. You meant it at the time I heard it. I don't hear all the kids, just some of them. And I hear you loudest of all. Tears began streaming down my face, but their presence didn't seem to change the visitor's demeanor toward me. Crying will just make me harder. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, kid, I just wanted to meet you and see whose voice has been screaming in my head the past few days. He turned and started walking toward the door. I gotta get started. 
it's time to give you your gift and get a gift for myself too. Merry fucking Christmas, kid. He flicked his cigarette into the corner of my bedroom as he passed through the doorway, repeating himself as he walked down the hallway in the direction of my parents' bedroom. Merry fucking Christmas! The door to my bedroom shut even though the man himself had made no effort to close it. I screamed aloud from my mother and father. To this day, I still have no idea if they heard me. I wish I can tell you that I bravely ran out of my bedroom to warn them, but I just sat huddled in the corner, crying and afraid. I listened intently for the sounds of a struggle or for my parents yelling, but I couldn't hear anything. Hours passed, and I could see the outside sky turn from black to gray, then to orange. I waited for my mother and father to find me. The orange sky turned blue, and as the day wore on, they never came. An absolute silence hung over the house, yet I still sat there. It was well into the afternoon when I finally left my room. I knew I couldn't stay there forever, and I tiptoed slowly to my door and opened it only a few inches. Looking out from the inside of my room, the house appeared normal. Everything that I could see was in place. I pulled the door open all the way, almost expecting the man from the night before to jump out at me, but that didn't happen. My voice broke the silence. Mom? Dad? No response. Trying my best to stay quiet, I walked slowly down the hallway toward my parents' bedroom and the door was ajar. Dad? I put my hand on the door. Mom? I pushed it open and looked inside. I don't exactly remember what I saw. To be clear, I'm perfectly aware of the fate that befell my parents based on what was told to me later on, but I have no memory of the actual sight that I witnessed during that one awful moment. It's a tra traumatic event that my sane mind has blocked out even today. Uh, when I recreate the events of that night in my dream, the scene fades to white as I push the door open. My next memory is of me laying down in the street directly outside my house, screaming and flailing my arms wildly, and the Porter family, who lived next door, witnessed my distress through their living room window. Mr. Porter exited his house and rushed over to me. He could tell something was seriously wrong. They're dead, is all I could say. I repeated it over and over again. Mrs. Porter followed closely behind her husband and comforted me as he went to check inside my house, and a minute later he exited and promptly vomited into the bushes. Nobody ever told me the whole story of what they found in that bedroom, at least not directly. It was explained to me that a very bad person had broken into my house and murdered my parents, even though I already knew as much. What was held back from me at the time, the fact that they'd been decapitated. The cuts were clean, almost surgical. Both bodies were laying on the bed as if they'd been asleep when it happened. And the worst part was that their heads were missing, not to be found anywhere. Their bodies were sliced open, and strange symbols were drawn on the wall in blood. Other than the carnage itself, absolutely no physical evidence was discovered at the scene. Not one fingerprint, stray hair, or footprint was left behind. Nothing. The police listened to my story once I was ready to talk. I found out later I was considered to be an unreliable witness, mostly because the details of my story didn't mesh with the lack of physical evidence. A specially trained detective and my new therapist sat down with me to review what I told the police earlier. The man, he wasn't wearing gloves. I shook my head, no. 
I clearly remember the cigarette in his hand and there was no glove. And he threw the cigarette on the ground when he was done smoking it. I nodded yes. And he closed your door when he left your room. And I shook my head no and then thought about it and nodded my head yes. I wasn't really sure. The detective took notes as I talked. He nodded his head pleasantly, but even then I could see the strange look on his face when I told him that the man had read my thoughts. The one thing I never told the police was that two days before the murder, I'd asked for my parents to be gone. The sketch artist came afterwards. He started off by drawing some smurfs for me, and then he slowly began working me up to the task of remembering what the murderer looked like. I appreciated his effort, but when he was done, the picture looked somewhat like... How I remembered the man, but not exactly. I was taken in by my mother's sister, Aunt Janine, and her husband, my uncle Anton, and as unlucky as I had been with the deaths of my parents, I have to say that I was nearly as lucky to have those two in my life. Other than my parents, they were probably the best people in the world who I could have lived with. Looking back at the events of my life, I have to say that today I miss every bit as much as my parents. I have to say that today I miss them every bit as much as I miss my parents. Janine worked as an office manager, but she took a leave of absence in the first few months after the murders so that she could come home and support me. Anton worked for a home security firm. He was the kind of man who always had a smile on his face, so much so that it would be impossible for a person to even imagine him angry. <clears throat> he made instant connections with people and had a confidence about him that made people want to seek his approval, whether consciously or unconsciously. Janine and Anton didn't have any children of their own, and they'd always been very generous towards me. I knew them well, so it was easy for me to slip into their lives. I put a huge effort into making sure that I gave them no trouble, and I asked them for nothing. My conversation with the murderer was never too far from my thoughts, and I hear an amalgamation of his comments ring through my mind daily. I give kids what they ask for. The good kids and the bad kids. I didn't know what the good kids were given by this man, but I understood all too clearly what happened to the bad children. It was two months before I felt like I was ready to go back to school. Janine and Anton and even the school administration were very helpful and understanding throughout the whole process. My classmates welcomed me back with smiles and words of encouragement, and it's often said that children can be cruel, but I think it's even more true that they can be sweet and supportive. I really can't emphasize enough how much returning to all my friends helped me along in the healing process. My anxiety began to ebb, and my therapist proclaimed that it was a major milestone for me. Despite the progress in physical and psychological healing, there were always several thoughts that I couldn't get rid of. The first was the guilt that I felt about my parents asking them to go away. I knew full well that the murder of my parents was in no way my fault, but there was always that nagging voice that wouldn't let it drop. I'd asked for them to be taken away, and that's exactly what happened. The second thought was that the murderer would return on the following Christmas. Initially, all the adults assured me that he would be arrested quickly, and then when it didn't happen, I was promised that there was no way he could ever get his hands on me and that I was safe. They made sure that I was never alone. And when Janine went back to work, she only did so part-time, so that she could pick me up when school let out. I also had difficulty with the more unbelievable aspects of what happened that night. I tried to convince myself on a daily basis that the murderer was just a normal man, and that my memory of those fantastical elements was merely my own imagination betraying me. But just like the guilt I felt, the troubling thought the man was more than just a man didn't subside entirely. 
For victims of trauma, anniversaries can often trigger symptoms like depression and fear. And for me, Christmas was the anniversary of my worst memory. As the summer ended, Janine and Anton, along with my therapist, decided early on that Christmas wouldn't be celebrated in our household that year. Nobody felt that I'd be ready for it, and they were right. Since we knew that Christmas was going to be an ordinary day for this, for us, Janine and Anton made sure to throw me a huge birthday party in October of that year, when I turned nine. It seemed like most of the community turned out. We had a bounce house, ponies, and even a magician. Everyone, including me, had a great day, and it was probably the first time in ten months that I'd grinned. Sure, there had been smiles up to that point, but I'm referring to the type of grin where your teeth show, and the elation on your face can't be mistaken. Unfortunately, the joy of my birthday couldn't last forever. Inevitably, the signs of Christmas slowly started popping up not long after Halloween passed, and my anxiety started increasing. Though we weren't going to celebrate it, Christmas would be impossible to ignore. Holiday lights, store displays, television commercials, Yuletide songs pumped over public address systems. How can one avoid all those and still function within society? Though those harbingers couldn't be avoided altogether, Janine and Anton made a concerned effort to minimize my exposure. Instead of letting me watch my TV shows, Anton taught me the game of chess, which we played nightly. For the most part, they avoided taking me to any stores and kept me home or close by as much as possible. Avoiding these triggers probably helped somewhat, but I still couldn't get rid of the tightening feeling in my chest that I felt every morning when I woke up. I managed to avoid any sort of breakdown until the 21st of December. Aunt Janine, because she was taking care of me, had herself been staying home an inordinate amount of time. Finally, after her fifth game of rummy in a row, she had enough. She tossed her cards aside. You know what, Miles? We've been cooped up too long. Let's get out of here. We'll go get some ice cream. One little trip out won't hurt, right? In a smiled response, I said, Okay, ice cream sounded good, even in the middle of December. Aunt Janine, who was talkative by nature, kept the conversation flowing all the way to the ice cream shop. I suppose this was her attempt to keep my focus away from the lights and displays that we passed, and it worked. Ask a kid a question about his favorite superheroes, and he's going to be fairly preoccupied while he talks about them, even the quiet ones. We made it into the shop. I ordered a double scoop of chocolate fudge brownie. We sat down to eat our treats, with Aunt Janine still engaging me in conversation. Just for a brief moment, a nearby toy store's glittering Christmas display caught my eye in the window, and they had a life-size poster plastered in their display window. It was a picture of Santa on top of a rooftop, posed in a position as he were just about to climb down the chimney. Blazing Christmas lights surrounded the display, and large words spelled out, what do you want for Christmas? Santa spread eagle on the, <laughs> on the rooftop. On the rooftop. I, turned, I tried to turn away, but the colorful lights clouded my vision, enlarging in their scope until they all combined, finally creating a great white light. Miles? Miles? My aunt's voice was becoming more and more urgent, and I suddenly realized she'd been calling my name for several moments. The cup of ice cream dropped from my hand. I, I just want them back. And at that moment, the tears flowed freely. I could think of nothing else. I was hysterical, and Aunt Janine quickly came over to my side of the table. I have a feeling he's going to get them back, but not in the way he thought. 
Because he's been an extra good boy this something, year. Something's going to be under the tree for him this year, and it ain't going to be mom and dad. Not it's all of them, at least. It's going to be pocket watches! <laughs> They're coming back as clocks! Oh my god, Miles, I'm so sorry she grabbed me and hugged me tightly. I reciprocated, holding onto her as firmly as I could. This was a bad idea. I'm so sorry, sweetie. I I I'm sorry I brought you out. This was stupid of me. I'm so sorry. I missed them, too. It took at least 15 minutes for Aunt Janine to call me to a point where we could leave the shop, and we left our unfinished ice cream behind. No other incidents happened in the next couple of days, and my first interactions with Anton and Janine helped distract me. And finally, it was Christmas Eve. I was quiet all day long, even more so than usual, and Anton noticed. He had a talk with me after dinner. You okay, buddy? I nodded my head, yes, despite... My assurance that I was okay, he could tell that I wasn't. He knew almost exactly what has come onto my mind. Come here, Miles. Let me show you a few things. I followed him to the living room window where he moved the curtains aside. See these windows? He slapped his hand on the pane to show me how solid it was. You could fit so many fucks in here. <laughs> this is the strongest window that they make for residencies. My company installed these. They're unbreakable. And there's no way someone can open them from the outside. I stared at the window while on the other side. Blackness enveloped the house. They took me over to the door. See how strong it is? See how strong it is? <laughs> Say the next line. It would take a tank to knock on this door down, the back door though, and there's it's no other open. way. <laughs> My back door is always open <laughs> for Santa. Santa's coming in my <laughs> chimney. <laughs> and there's no other way in. He led me over to the alarm control panel that was on the wall. This is the best system that they make I installed myself. He kneeled down to my level. Miles, you're safe here. Nobody, and I mean nobody, can get in here unless we let them in. He glanced to the side with his eyes. And don't tell your aunt I showed you my back door. <laughs> He moved his coat aside so that I could see his holster pistol. Oh, his, no. his holster, his holster pistol, pistol that he's wearing. <laughs> Just some anti protection. <laughs> but I won't even need these. I nodded, feeling a little bit safer, but not completely. I still worried. Not only for myself, but for Janine and Anton as well. Bedtime approached and Aunt Janine was in sight, usually reserved for long-time mothers, knew the one thing that might make the night a little easier for me. Miles, do you want to sleep in our room tonight? She asked. I'll show you my pistol. <laughs> yes, I smiled and nodded at the invitation and we would all be able to look out for one another. They would protect me and I'd be able to warn them if someone came in. They put some soft blankets on the ground for me right next to their bed. It was nice. Protected spot in the large gap between the bed and the wall. I couldn't fall asleep for several hours, but I could hear both Janine and Anton begin their nightly slumbers. Their breathing became rhythmic and almost melodic. I listened intently for any noises that might have been out of the ordinary, but nothing abnormal sounded out. 
There was a clock ticking somewhere in the house, and the occasional car passed by outside, and finally my weariness overpowered my uneasiness, and I began my night's sleep. The dream I had that night was unlike any other I'd had before. It was in what appeared to be a large garage, the type where mechanics worked on cars, and all around me automotive parts were spread out along the ground. Tires were stacked up, and an old rusted chassis filled the center of the room. Grime dripped from the walls. The area was lit by a single overhead lamp, and I instantly knew I was dreaming, even though it was the first time I'd experienced a lucid dream. From the corner of the garage, I heard metal playing, and I, I turned around to face the sound, and out of the darkness, the man who'd taken my parents' lives emerged. He spit some phlegm onto the ground and wiped his mouth before addressing me. Hey, Key. I just want you to know your dad squealed like a pig oh, when don't, I... Don't say that. When I fucked him. Don't say that. Hey, kid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Squeal. Oh, God. Don't worry. I ain't gonna hurt you. I'd like to, though. I'd really like to be able to shut you up. But it don't work that way. Despite my grimy surroundings, and perhaps because it was just a dream, that this didn't feel like a place of anger or fear. Unlike the year before, I was able to find my voice right away. Why do you want me to shut up? I hardly even speak. When you consider some of the other obvious reasons, obvious questions, I know it may sound strange that I chose to open with that. Who was this guy? Why did he take interest in me? Those are the questions I was really thinking, but my participation in the dream was guided as if my actions weren't wholly my own. And the man finally responded, Hell, you quiet ones are the loudest of all. Y'all never stop thinking. Thought after thought, you kids can't ever just shut your brains off. Give me just one of them loud mouth. Those kids never think about anything. Tell you what, if it was up to me, I'd just rip all your fucking heads off and be done with it. But like I said, it don't work that way. I ain't allowed to hurt a child. I looked around and came to a slow realization. This isn't my dream, is it? That's a stupid question. You ever dreamed of a place like this? Of course not. This is my dream, kid. I'm parked right outside your house. I just wanted to take a moment to peek in on you. My fear of this man, which had been otherwise controlled to this point, slowly began creeping back. He saw the look of despair spread across my face. Have you been a good boy this year? <laughs> he gave a little chuckle. Actually, yes, you have been. Do you remember what I said last time? I give kids what they ask for. The good ones and the bad ones. I shook my head. I didn't ask for anything. I spoke with a confidence that I didn't really feel. Sure you did. You kids always asking for something. And then don't you worry now, cause you're gonna get it. The room and the man began to fade away. 
See you next year, kid. I get the feeling that you and I are gonna be a part of each other's lives for a long time. <laughs> Those were the last words I heard. Pure whiteness consumed me and then I slept peacefully. My eyes opened and outside the window I could see the gray sky and signaled the approaching dawn and the house was eerily quiet, too quiet. I stayed fixed in my bed on the floor, listening for signs of life from my aunt and uncle, but I could only hear my own heartbeat. I wanted to sit up and look over to them, but I was afraid of what I'd find. The dream had felt so real, I wasn't sure what to think, and I continued to listen. Please, I whispered to myself, let me hear them breathe. And several minutes passed, I heard nothing and tears began streaming down my face and my pillow became wet. I knew deep inside that eventually I would have to look and see if they were okay and I couldn't lay on the floor all day, but my gut instinct told me that I didn't want to witness what was up there. And drawing upon my deepest strengths, I put my hands over my eyes and sat up, slowly moving a finger away from my teary eye. There was no blood, no gore. I pulled my hands fully away from my face and I could see Aunt, Uncle Anton's chest clearly rise and fall. He was sleeping peacefully and very quietly. And Aunt Janine turned in her sleep and mumbled a few nonsense words before resuming her silent rest. I smiled, and then I laughed in relief. I could see no evidence that the man had been there. And it was still early, but any sense of sleepiness had been pushed away by my earlier thoughts of dread. I stood up and walked over to the mirrored closet door and I looked at my red eyes and wiped them dry while behind me I could see the reflection of my aunt and uncle sleeping soundly. There was no need to wake them. I left the room with the intent of getting something to eat, most likely a bowl of cereal. I walked down the hallway and passed by the alarm panel on the wall and all the lights were green. The doors, the windows, everything was secure and nobody could have gotten in. Now fully relaxed, I passed through the living room on my way to the dining room, and that's when I saw it. Sitting right on top of the dining room table. I froze in place and looked all around to see if there was anything else out of place, but everything else was as it should have been. I turned again to the table and stared at the beautifully wrapped gift box that definitely hadn't been there the night before. It was a large box, maybe about 18 inches square. The wrapping paper that covered it was bright red with sparkles all over and a pretty green bow covered the top. My aunt and uncle had agreed that we wouldn't be celebrating Christmas that year, yet there sat a gift box atop the dining room table, and I wondered if they changed their minds. <coughs> I walked slowly towards the gift step by step. I stood up on one of the dining room chairs so that I could see the top of the gift and whoever had wrapped it had taken the time the box's lid was wrapped separately from the box itself. I lifted it up and I peered inside and there was no fade to white for me that time. No. I saw exactly what was in the box, and simultaneously three truths occurred to me. The first truth was that the man had been in the house. Despite all the security measures he'd gotten in and out without raising a single alarm. The second truth was that the man had been right. I'd asked for something without even realizing it. The third truth was the sinking acceptance that he visits 
that his visits would become an annual occurrence. I stood there on the chair staring into my parents' dried-out eyes which were still in their decapitated heads which were both in the box. I said I'd wished them back and the man, however he did it, had heard me and granted my wish in a manner befitting his evil ways. The ultimate truth that I learned from that day was that there could be no mess-ups with my behavior and I could want for nothing. I was being constantly watched and my mind was being continuously invaded. Bad actions would be severely punished and even good behavior would lead to its own sick and twisted reward. And that's the story of how a very well-behaved boy became the perfectly behaved boy. And as a perfectly behaved boy, all my desires had to be held in check. Emotionally speaking, I had to become less human, so that the visitor would have no fuel for the wicked game he played. Of course, nobody is truly perfect, and there were slip-ups throughout the following years. There were times when I inadvertently made a wish or asked for something, and those slip-ups were very costly for me. But I don't care to recount the full extent of them here. I think I've given enough of myself for tonight. I'm weary and beaten, and what I tell you is that after 30 years, I'm no longer afraid to finally say that I want the painful memories to go away. I don't want them anymore. I even said it aloud, I want the memories to be gone. It's cold outside right now, and it's getting late. I think I'll make myself a cup of hot cocoa with some peppermint before turning in. That'll make me happy. For the first time in ages, I'm calm and at peace looking out the window. I can see all the pretty lights on the eaves of the houses. I don't think I ever really had the chance to appreciate just how festive they make everything look. For a long time, I just didn't care, but now I'm going to take a few minutes to enjoy them while I can. Good night, everyone. Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas. That was very well written. That was very that good. That was a very good Christmas story. I, I, I remember liking the one we did like pre-Christmas last year. The Soft White Dam. The one about the the guy who keeps getting visited each night by like oh, a different yeah. ghost that he let down in his past. Yeah. That was good. That was good. And it was well written and it was it, it made sense. It wasn't stupid. No, it wasn't stupid. And I'm hoping to keep that up. All of these stories um, were submitted to us by a listener named Danny. <gasps> so Danny Boy, Danny Boy submitted all these stories to us today. And I just kind of mixed them up. And, you know, I think he submitted something like six or seven. And I only picked a couple. Danny, for, you being a good Christmas. boy. He's being a good boy. I like the voice he did, too. It, it fixed with the way it, the way it was written. Yeah. <laughs> there, there, were, there were words, you know, there were letters and words that were missing. And, and it had apostrophes and everything for, it's like, do you remember? Like, it, it, it was written with the yeah. draw that, that you ended up doing. So that's, that's pretty cool. Thanks. Yeah, buddy. And Merry Christmas! <laughs> I'm ready for Merdia. Please don't. Merdia sacrifice your children. I don't know Christmas. how long these stories are, and I can't deal with that for that many pages. Oh. We gotta find like a, sh a shitty pasta one that's like one page. <laughs> shitty, shitty pasta. Shitty pasta. Alright. Well, I guess Frown's gonna take this one. 
is called Better Watch Out, Better Not Cry. I think the reason I kept this one is because I, I think in our first Christmas episode is the one with the, the song. You better watch out, you better not... Or no, it's Up on the Roof... Up, up on the on Rooftop. The rooftop. Click, click, click. Up on the rooftop, click, click, It's Jiminy Click. <laughs> better watch out, better not cry from Creepy Poster. <laughs> Don't be a regular boo-hoo. I hate you. All right. <laughs> My parents own a Santa animatronic. Ho, ho, ho. Ho, ho, ho. Ho, ho, ho. Santa vibrator ho, reporting ho, for duty. <laughs> Where is the ho, ho, ho? Ho, ho, ho. I think it tried to kill us. <laughs> best, best second line. <laughs> now, I know what you might be thinking. <laughs> this story already sounds like a kid's overactive imagination during a season that relies on the magic of imagination. <sighs> I don't mean to oversell it either. This wasn't some decades-long hunting where it terrorized us every Christmas. This was a single incident but one that my brother and I would never forget. Let me give you some backstory. First to paint a better picture. My parents have always owned a Santa animatronic that we kept inside our house during the Christmas season. Ho, ho, ho. Fuck my ass. Coal in your hole. <laughs> I assume that my mom inherited him from my grandparents as they sold the home we grew up in to my mother and father. He stood just six feet tall and looked like a stereotypical Santa Claus. He was wide, with rosy cheeks, and a reserved smile underneath a massive beard reaching down to his belly hole. Their traditional red and white attire was topped off with shiny black boots. To be honest, there was nothing particularly creepy about him to me, even though the years his color held well and he wasn't like those dolls from the 1800s that I find absolutely terrifying even today as an adult. I've included a picture of him in my parents' current home so you know this isn't some oddity I just made up. I had to cut it out. Pictures don't carry over on a podcast. What? So is that why they're not coming to my OnlyFans? You know, I submit to you all these fucking headshots or dick shots or cum shots, and right. you're not putting them into the fucking videos no, that I'm not no, in? No, I'm not doing that. Fans, I, I, you know, I, I'd like to know what you think about this. You know, I need to break apart from the story, but, you know, <laughs> I need to make money. All right? And I'm not a fucking charity. But, you know, I do the show. You know, I'm hosting this show for you. And I'm not, I'm not asking for fucking money. Just give me a little bit of publicity. You know, fuck it. I'm jerking off on all this shit. I'm just wasting my semen now. This is empty semen dollars. You're getting paid. It's <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I can think of saying. Oh, God. Back to the... Back to the... <laughs> You'll hear from my lawyer. Calling him an animatronic was generous, but I guess that's roughly what it was. He had a single way too short power cord that you plugged into a wall. There was no switch. When you plugged it in, Chris Kringle began his jolly little movements immediately. He had a super limited range of motion. His legs were motionless. And instead he swiveled back and forth at the hips, as you do from time to time. <laughs> oh, 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 she, this wop. <laughs> Wet ass pushy. <laughs> All right, I'm done. 
His right arm would raise up as if he was waving and greeting as he turned, and then he would lower back down as he returned to his starting position. His left arm stayed as motionless as his legs and wasn't even adjustable. There were no lights nor sounds other than the sound of the moving parts. Having it plugged in, it didn't make sense more often than not, considering we had all seen what he could do, and the sounds of him moving were more annoying than anything else. He was mostly plugged in for about 30 seconds for the sake of the guests who um, thought his little wave was cute before we unplugged him once more and he returned to a motionless, festive space taker. Over the years, even his minimal use began to wear on him. His waist would still rotate, but his waving arm would stutter as it struggled to race. I even remember that it sounded like a creaking door that just couldn't finish opening. <laughs> Eventually, it stopped working altogether, and we stopped plugging him in entirely. Well, that's not completely true. My brother and I did it a few times just to get a laugh out of watching Santa do the twist over the years. <laughs> <laughs> My father moved him closer to the window near the Christmas tree. It looked better that way. Having Santa peeking out into the yard near our brightly decorated tree was an upgrade from him standing in the corner staring at us. I can see you sitting. <laughs> Here. Inevitably, his side-to-side -side rotation quit working as well. Probably the result of being moved up and down the stairs over the past 20 years, the basement being his home during the other 11 months of the year. Our incident took place well before his rotating days were over. My brother Chase was about 10 years old at the time. I was 12. I don't remember exactly when my parents started putting out Santa, but as far back as I could recall, celebrating Christmas, he was always there. Personally, at that point, the Santa animatronic barely caught the corner of my eye during December. He stood out at the beginning of the month, sure, but like all the other decorations, my brain just became used to him being there. It didn't come so easy for my brother. In later years, we'd both come to laugh at his meager side-to-side -side twist, but the years where his arms started to flail were much less entertaining to my brother. Kids are afraid of a lot of things, so who could blame him for being spooked by a stuttering animatronic twice his size? His fear wasn't limited to Santa's jagged movement either. If you walked down the hall and forgot that Santa had been put out on display, his presence would catch you off guard and cause quite a scare. It happened to us all. Save our father but he seemed to catch my brother unaware more often than the rest of us. That year, Chase decided he had quite enough of the already dated Saint Nick and let my parents know about it. It was still November, but now that Thanksgiving was over, there wasn't even a week before it was time for Christmas decorations. Can we just keep him in the basement this year? He doesn't even, he doesn't even work anymore protested my brother as I walked into the kitchen for breakfast. Chase, we bring him out every year. He's almost as much of a tradition in this house as the real sin. Oh, no, that's a woman. All right. <laughs> I, I was fine with it. Chase. <laughs> sure. We bring him out every year. He's almost as part of the tradition as the house of real Santa. My mother replied. She was busy packing our lunches for school while she argued with my clearly cranky little brother. 
my father was in the other room ironing his shirt for work, never really getting involved in the morning chatter. But he's old! Why can't we just get normal decorations? None of my friends have a giant creepy Santa staring out the window! He whined with all the energy only a ten-year-old could have at 7.30 in the morning. Does that make us unique then? My mom mused. You could hear her beginning to, uh, beginning to relent, packing lunch and getting her kids ready for school before heading out to her full-time job was tough on only half a cup of coffee. No, it makes us weird. And that was the end of that. It was easier for my mom to give in than to stand there and argue about Christmas decorations with her 10-year-old son. Plus, in that one less decoration, they had to log up from the basement. I had to admit I was impressed, as Chase had come up with a handful of reasons to keep the fat man stored away without ever admitting he was actually scared of our aging Santa. Fat shaming. <laughs> Classic. Santa's a fat fuck. Mom, I don't want him upstairs. <laughs> I'm sitting here, I'm at the dining room table, I'm trying to eat this delicious honey-baked ham, and you expect me to enjoy it while this overgrown man is staring at me and doing the twist mom well I'll do the macarena the fuck out of here mom mom he's fucking leering at my plate okay I feel like he's raping my plate he wants to taste my honeyed ham he and wants by that I mean my ass my, and by that I mean my hole my honey hole <laughs> my honey glazed hole fuck <laughs> Yogi the bears like behind the tree. <laughs> Let's get some of that uh, picking a castle. <laughs> Oi, Scoob! Lux is there. Every character owned by Hanna Barbera. The Jetsons come flying in, and Rosie's like, "Oh boy, son, that that kid's asshole's huge." Yum, 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 delicioso. Doors back. She's not a Hannah Barbera character. <laughs> Fuck it. Uh. <laughs> Watch me slide in, school. <laughs> Fuck. That was great. I think I was just so used to having that Santa around that I didn't notice, but I guess I could see how anyone might find him creepy. Thus, the old animatronic stayed downstairs when it came time to fill the house to the brim with decorations. It was weird to see the living room without Santa peeking out the window, but much like when he had been there, I stopped noticing after a few days. A week later, our cousins Ben and Ty came over to stay the night. While most of our time was spent huddled around the N64 playing Mario Kart or Goldeneye. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. We like to mix it up by playing hide and seek in the basement with the lights off. Oh, fuck you. It's... You're <laughs> gonna fuck my hiney clay soul. Stop. We had a good one. Come on, come on, come on. Let's explore us. Explore this little ten-year-old boy's a hola. <laughs> That's good. You have your back. All right. Um, uh, <laughs> it's not as freaky as it sounds. We had a large basement, and thanks to a few windows along with the light of the moon, you could see pretty well once your eyes adjusted to the darkness. Once you walked down the stairs, on your right was an unfinished room filled with a freezer, fridge, and a mountain of boxes. 
and then plastic crates filled to the broom with decorations and knickknacks for other seasons. It led to another smaller room that was filled with nothing more than our father's outdated workout equipment, surrounded by foundation, concrete, and drywall. On the left side of the staircase was a large furnished room that had served as me and my brother's hangout room. It led to my father's workshop and our basement garage. Connecting the weight room to the workshop was a long, thin corridor that my parents kept cluttered with all sorts of rarely needed miscellaneous items. All in all, the basement was pretty well set up as a hide-and-seek arena. I was the oldest of all of the cousins, which of course naturally meant that I was never it to begin the game. I wish I could say that I didn't swing my weight and age around a lot as a kid, but I'd be lying. Ty, being the youngest, inevitably inherited the unfortunate title, and the rest of us scattered throughout the basement. I quickly made my way into the corridor, hoping to slip back into my dad's workshop into a spot I had scouted out earlier. The corridor itself was actually a miserable hiding spot. There was so much junk that whoever was it would naturally bump into anyone dumb enough to try and hide there. Still, it made a good shortcut and I figured it would keep it Ben or Chase from seeing where my perfect hiding spot was. About halfway down the corridor, I came to an awful realization. Something was blocking the rest of the path. My eyes hadn't adjusted to the darkness yet, so I reached out to see if it was something I could just push past. My hands found a large surface of fake hair, and I realized exactly what was blocking my way. And I would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for you meddling kids. We're definitely not there yet. Oh damn. My parents had left Santa Claus stuffed into the corridor. Harvey Weinstein? <laughs> oh, and I would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for you Me Too movement whores. <laughs> my parents had left Santa Claus stuffed into the corridor thanks to my brother's persistent complaining. Have I mentioned I have syphilis? <laughs> <laughs> Look at my cane. Give me, give me, give me attention. He wasn't heavy, per se, but I didn't have the room to move him out of the way into the narrow hall. Before I could head back the way I came, I heard a voice call out from the top of the stairs. Ready or not, here I come. Is, is it Borat? What? <laughs> you thought that sounded like Borat? <laughs> Who the fuck the oh, fuck? That's someone Italian. <laughs> Ready or not, <laughs> Ready or not the here I come. <laughs> Yelled Ty, my Italian cousin. <laughs> His stomping feet on the wooden stairs as he made his descent to the basement. Out of time, I tried to stand up as straight as possible and flatten myself against the wall next to the storage clause. It wasn't a great plan, but it was the best I had at the moment. As I waited for Ty to hopefully find Ben or my brother first, my eyes finally adjusted to the darkness. Slowly looking over to Santa, I could see that he was facing me. His lifeless eyes were narrowed from the molded smile placed on his face. He had probably just swiveled after I ran into him, but it felt as if he had turned to stare at me. I stood motionless, hoping that he would stay as still as he did when he was standing in our living room. I held my breath faster, feeling my, the pounding of my heart beating harder and faster. Got you! Screamed Ty as he grabbed my arm. I screamed too. 
It was not my proudest moment. It didn't help that it took a five solid minutes for Ty to stop his laughing fit set off by my reaction. <laughs> Afterwards, I sat on the couch in my main room while he hunted down Chase and Ben. When they were finally found, all three of us laughed ourselves to tears as Ty did his best impression of my screen. Not only was it embarrassing, but the rules we played had by dictated that the first person who was found was it for the next round. Being the oldest, I felt my wounded pride take the place of my fear as I counted aloud at the top of the staircase. I resolved that I would find them all so rapidly that my hide-and-seek dominance would erase the squeak of puberty's scream that had shrieked out. Counting to 50, I bounded down the stairs and immediately headed back into Santa's corridor, Santa's casting couch. <laughs> it was common for people to hide precisely where the first person had been caught the prior round, so I was betting on some double reverse psychology. I grinned as I spotted Santa, my eyes still adjusted to the darkness. His body was turned away from me this time, meaning that he was playing hard to get. <laughs> Meaning that one of them had obviously squeezed by in hopes that I couldn't follow. Turning Santa's hips in the process, as I approached him, I grabbed him in an attempt to maneuver him out of the way so that I could slip by. His body immediately swayed back to face me. And I saw, and what I saw horrified me so much that nothing but panicked air escaped my throat pinned between his wide body and his left immovable arm was my brother. His eyes bulged in a panic as they found my own, and I could see the cord wrapped tightly around his neck. Santa nearly leaned against the wall when plugged in, since the power cord was so short, but it was long enough to wrap around the neck of a ten-year-old boy. I was frozen in shock my, as my mind tried to process the scene in front of me. And I only broke from my spell when Chase's one free arm reached out towards me for help. I instantly lunged to save him, but an arm shot up and caught me square in the jaw and sent me flying backwards. Dazed, I looked up to see the raised arm of Santa. The same arm that could no longer even move properly when he was plugged in. The rest of his frame slowly creaked away from me again, his swiveling frame carrying my brother out of sight. I had no idea what was happening. My legs were shaking and the rest of my body soon joined them in a tremble. What the hell was this thing? And why was I so frightened? But then I thought about Chase being strangled on the other side of whatever this terror was. I thought about his bulging eyes, his face turning a deep purple that I could see even in the darkness. No! I bellowed and vaulted up to the animatronic with all my weight. All three of us came crashing down onto the concrete floor, bringing down a cavalcade of other loosely stored items in a resounding crash. I immediately pushed up off of the now motionless claws and grabbed my brother. Finding his legs, I pulled with all of my might, and to my relief, I yanked him free out of the arm that had pinned him. The power cord was no longer wrapped around his neck, but as he coughed and wailed, I could clearly see the strangulation marks, very clearly. P 
Pulling him to his feet, we ran towards the staircase where we had met by our parents, who had heard the loud crash and hurried to see what had happened. Our cousins quickly emerged from their hiding spots as our mother freaked out over my brother's injuries, and our father shouted about our reckless behavior. My parents listened to neither my brother nor my own frightened rendition of the events that had transpired. They assumed my brother had simply gotten tangled in the cord while trying to hide. Getting stuck where his smaller frame has wedged between St. Nick's arm. The resulting fear, panic, and pain were responsible for his story that he had been grabbed by the machine. My attempts to validate his story, even though I didn't see anything, were dismissed as attempts to avoid punishment. Two weeks of grounding put a pin in that, and then the truth was stuck with Chase and I forever. My father eventually brought Santa upstairs to see if he had taken any significant damage. Surprisingly, the archaic contraption was not broken or bent, despite the force of my tackle and the unforgiving concrete floor. His only blemish was from some dust that he picked up from his fall. My father cleaned him and was going to take him back down to the basement when surprisingly my brother protested. Can we put him up in the living room? Not the basement, please, he pleaded. He had wailed for hours after the incident and fresh tears threatened the corner of his eyes. With his bandaged neck, he made quite the sad sight. Our father relented, probably out of pity, and returned Santa to his spot, looking out the window near a brightly lit tree. He was brought out every year after that without so much as a peep from my brother. I'm nearing 30 now, and my parents still have him up every Christmas. That was the only incident we ever suffered at the hands of our odd animatronic. It was only after my, my, it only took my brother a few years to seemingly get over it. Most of our Christmases during high school involved laughing at the side-to-side -side rotation while the Beatles rendition of the twist played in the background. It did, however, take nine years before we spoke to each other about what happened with Santa in the corridor that night. My brother was a senior in high school at that point, and I was visiting from college. I smuggled home some booze that I had bought with my fake ID, and we were hanging out in the same basement that we used that we had spent, and we were hanging out in the basement, and we were hanging out in the same basement that we had spent most of our childhood in. We joked about the old TV we used to watch, and how and laughed at how busted the joysticks on our N64 controllers were from skin and our skin peeling from Mario Party games. I can detest to that. Yeah. We were pretty drunk when the topic finally switched to, to hide and seek and the Santa incident. Mom and Dad never believed us, Chase stated. Hell, some days, I'm not even sure what all I remember. <laughs> he finished with a laugh. I don't think any adult would believe what we saw. I still remember how your face looked when it turned purple. I replied, wincing as the image replayed in our mind. You know, you never told. I never told you. Thank you for saving me. He admitted, shaking his head as if ashamed for never doing so. Well, you're welcome for me saving you from Santa Claus. I quipped, and our drunken laughter filled the echoing basement. After a few moments, Chase's face was serious again. There's something I never told you, 
he said in a more solemn tone. What is it? I inquired, not having realized my brother had held on to something else after all this time. When he... When it... When he grabbed me, he whispered something in my ear before... Oh. He whispered something in my ear before he started strangling me. Chase confessed, his shoulders sinking as if he had just unloaded the heaviest of burdens. What? What the hell did he say? I managed to sputter out, my surprise outpacing my words. Chase looked at me and shook his head. It was just a jumbled sentence, but I remember every single word. His voice was hollow, and each word... Oh, it's all the same shit. Look for the quotation marks. Okay. Listen. Just saying, you should you should be able to read without worrying about quotation marks. <laughs> you know, how many years have I been on the show? Four. I make mistakes. Yeah. Sometimes I lose things and forget things. Sometimes too many. And people. (laughs) And places. Sometimes I don't even know what story we're reading anymore. Halfway through it. But you know. Right. It's for the fans. Right. It was a tumbled sentence. But I remember every single word. His voice was hollow. And each word came out like they were made by grinding metal. My brother seemed to lose focus as he said this, as if remembering for the first time in years. I snapped my fingers a few times until his thousand-yard stare refocused, and then I tickled his balls. Jesus Christ, Chase, what did he say? I insisted, having no idea how my brother held onto this for so long. He blinked at me a few times and finally spoke. He said to me, Santa, decoration, Santa, upstairs, Santa, still works, plug, Santa in. With that, Chase covered his eyes with his hand, trying to hold in the tears that came with the memories. We didn't talk about it anymore that night, and to this day, we'll only mention it briefly to assure each other that we didn't imagine it at all. I also use those moments to make sure Chase is doing okay, because he probably never sought out the therapy he should have. You might be wondering why the hell we don't take this thing out into the woods and just burn it to ashes. Well, there's a few reasons for that. First of all, I don't want to have to explain to my parents why their 29-year-old son burnt their Christmas decoration to a crisp because it scared him once when he was 12. Second of all, it's fucking sexy. Third of all, it's been 17 years and not a single other incident has occurred now with the motionless animatronic. Finally, I don't know what my brother actually heard that night. But if what Chase said is the truth, then all this Santa wanted was to be included alongside our other Christmas decorations during the holidays. I'll probably never know what the hell this thing really is, But I do know that one day my parents will pass it down to me. When that day comes, you can bet he'll be standing up by the window in my living room for all the passing cars to see. If that spot in my home for one month a year is all I need to make sure I never see another purple gasping face like that on my brothers, then I'll gladly give it that gift every year as long as I live. Tis the season. 
and I would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for you meddling kids right, and, and your Me Too movement. Now that's a fair that's a fair insertion of that dialogue. Sure. I liked that story a lot too. Yeah, it was good. I liked good. both of them so far. Those were both solid stories and creepy pastas, nonetheless. <coughs> we have a we have a creepy backwards fucked up Satan Santa Claus, and we got a. Christmas animatronic. And let me tell you, there are some creepy Christmas animatronics out there. You know what else? Creepy Christmas decorations, which brings us to the next story. You know, I I never had this shit as a kid, and we've talked about it on the first Christmas episode we did, Mm -hmm. because we read a story about it there, too. But, like, I don't know. I, I I don't know what it is about this or about over decorating your house with pictures of elves and and creepy fat guys you know like I, I don't i don't like christmas one which is part of the reason why we do this series because i could give two shits less about what people think about christmas and i think introducing a little bit of horror into the crossing of genres makes for a fun time but like honestly like fuck christmas can you imagine if it was an austin powers as santa animatronic Ho, 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 baby, yeah! I, I can't. Do you like my Harley, baby? Yeah! Even at, even with such a solid impression, Thanks. which what she just did, I can't imagine it at all. It'd be and so I, good. I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to let me read this next one? I will let you read this next one. So this next one, appropriately named... The elf on the shelf. The boof on the snow. <laughs> <laughs> is that a joke from the first episode? Uh, I don't know. Probably not. Probably. I think we said a lot of shit. <sighs> we we said... were really high back then. <laughs> <laughs> so much is so much has changed. Now we're just old and tired. The elf on the shelf hey, from Creepy <laughs> Yeah, that happened. <sighs> the elf on the shelf from Creepy Pasta. The girl on the casting couch. Wow. (laughs) Growing up, or at least since the mid-2000s, my house has always had an elf on the shelf during the Christmas season. If you don't know, elves on the shelves are these little elf dolls that are supposed to be scouts for Santa Claus. I named mine Humble. I think I was trying to name him Humboldt, but got the words confused, though I've long forgotten why I wanted to name him Humboldt in the first place. Because you listen to way too much fucking uh, Kendrick Lamar. Anyway, (laughs) starting every Thanksgiving, my parents would stick Humble somewhere uh, so he could practice his domestic espionage, and at night, he would head back to the North Pole to snitch on me to Santa. He always flew back before dawn, always hiding someplace new, and each morning was like a miniature Easter egg hunt to try and find him. Of course, it was my parents who moved the damn thing every night. I guess I have some mixed feelings about the tradition. On the one hand, it was fun and magical. But on the other, it's pretty aggressive expansion on the practice of using Santa to keep your kids in line. I've also heard people say it normalizes government and corporate surveillance. But in the age of Alexa and Google, that's a bit of a moot point. I think the weirdest thing about Elf on the Shelf is how I was never allowed to uh, touch the doll. I could talk to him tell him what I wanted to bring me for Christmas and all that, but no touching him. It might drain him of his magic and keep him from returning to the North Pole where he belonged. And here's the actual line from the storybook that comes with the doll. There's only one rule 
that you have to follow, so I will come back and be here tomorrow. Please don't touch me. My magic might go, and Santa won't hear all I've seen or all I know. He might just, like, pre-ejaculate. I was gonna say, I was gonna say, I think Harvey Weinstein tried to say the same shit to all the people who came into his office, and that clearly didn't work. I was gonna say Louis C.K. Because they touched him a lot. I was gonna say Louis C.K. Right. Just let me masturbate in front of you. You yeah, can't touch me or else... <laughs> But I'm still gonna come. You just gotta watch me do it. Just watch me do it. <laughs> Obviously, the taboo against touching the doll makes it harder for a kid to conceive that it's actually their parents moving it, or worse, testing that hypothesis, which to me really feels exceptionally manipulative. That might be because I never actually touched Humble, even years after I stopped believing in Santa. I have two younger siblings, so I guess I could rationalize it as not touching him for their sake, but part of me just could never overcome the taboo about not touching the doll that my mother had instilled in me. I'm 18 now, and in college, living in an off-campus apartment. I went home for Thanksgiving, of course, and sure enough, Humble was there on the mantelpiece. My sister Jenna loves the little creeper, full-heartedly, believes he's magic and works for Santa Claus. I feel a little guilty her buying the story hook, line, and sinker, but decided it was none of my business. When I got up on Sunday morning, the day I was supposed to head back to my apartment, my mother asked me, as covertly as she could, if I knew where Humble was. He was missing. And no one in my house seemed to know where he went or would be likely to play such a cruel trick on our youngest member. And when he couldn't be found, my mom took Jenna aside and tried to explain that Humble must have been storm-stayed at Santa's workshop. And to everyone's surprise, Jenna was delighted at the news. She said that she told Humble that she worried about me living away from home and asked if he could spend some time at my apartment to make sure I was safe. <laughs> Fuck Ooh. no. Fuck no is all I have to say. And that's where he must be. And my mother eagerly went along with this since it gave her time to find a replacement doll and told me to call as soon as I got to my apartment to confirm that Humble was safe and sound. Wink, wink. I promised to call the second I got back, and after saying my farewells, I embarked on the hour-long drive back to my apartment. What would you do if you, like, put him up there and he was like... I remember syrup sandwiches and crumb allowances. <laughs> See, I feel like he would sit up there. I feel like he'd. I feel like he'd stay up there on the mantle, and he'd be like, "Now I'm in your den of sin. <laughs> Time to watch you masturbate." Whoa, that left stroke just went viral. <laughs> I managed to get back before dark, which of course comes obscenely early this time of year, and as I awkwardly tried to make my way through the door with all my travel bags at once, I caught a glimpse of something bright red standing out against the off-white of my kitchenette. It was humble. Sitting atop my Keurig with his legs crossed and his hands in his lap, I knew it was humble because my mother had put a bell from a lint chocolate bunny around his waist like a belt and stuck a miniature candy cane in it. The normally upsetting situation of someone breaking into my apartment was tempered by the fact that it had obviously been a member of my family, but who and why? Instead of calling my mom like I promised, I took a picture and texted it to my mom with the message, Did you do this? Moments later, a following conversation ensued. Sweetie, why would you steal Humble? You know how much your sister likes him. Mom, I swear I didn't steal him. I just found him here when I got home. If you didn't do this, check to make sure you still have my spare key because I know I locked up before I left. Okay, I just checked. 
It's right where it should be. I asked your father, and he doesn't know anything either. He's looking over the security camera footage to make sure we weren't broken into, sweetie. I swear we didn't do this. Maybe you should come back home or stay in the hotel until we figure this out. At this point, I've searched my entire apartment for a sign of forced entry, a hidden intruder, something missing or damaged, and found absolutely nothing. The only thing out of place is humble, and it makes no goddamn sense. The most likely explanation was that someone in my family was messing with me, but I couldn't think of anyone who would do this to me, and Jenna, let alone have been able to have stolen Humble, drive to my apartment, place it, and then drive back undetected. The only other rational explanation was that I had a very stealthy, very skilled stalker who'd chosen an oddly specific way to mess with me. Of course, there was an obvious, rational explanation for where Humble came from, but I shut that line of thought down immediately. It's just a damn doll. I really didn't want to drive anymore and decided I couldn't miss class the next day or waste money on a hotel, so I asked my boyfriend to spend the night, who was more than happy to oblige, and that still left the issue of what to do with Humble. Obviously, I should have just mailed him back home, but that would have required that I move him. That had to be why they did it. They knew I was still afraid to touch Humble, and they were teasing me. That had to be it. However they did it, that had to be it. This was good, though, I thought. My unwillingness to touch Humble was childish, and I was all grown up now. I needed to move past it. The doll was sitting right there on my coffee machine. All I had to do was grab him, put him in a box, and ship him out. My little sister gets her doll back, and I become just a little bit more mature. There was no rational reason not to do it. I honestly can't tell you how long I just stood there staring at Humble, trying to muster up the courage to pick him up. <clears throat> it was ridiculous, but I just couldn't do it. My mother had ingrained that taboo into me too damn well, and touching Humble would be like crushing a fairy. Hey, Humble, I started mumbling. I know my sister asked you to keep an eye on me, and I know you're just trying to make her happy, but you're supposed to be watching her to report back to Santa, remember? I know you used to watch me, but I'm grown up now, and I don't even get presents from Santa anymore. You don't need to watch me, and I'd hate for your report on Jenna to be inaccurate because you're here and not there, so please, after you report back to the North Pole tonight, go back to Jenna and let her know that I'm doing okay. I opened the cupboard and pulled out a pack of blueberry turnovers, placed one beside Humble. And that's for Santa. I know it's probably not his favorite kind of cookie, but it's all I have right now. Merry Christmas, Humble. I don't know why I said those things. I don't know why I gave him the cookie. I didn't actually believe he was one of Santa's elves, at least I don't think I did. My boyfriend Sean arrived shortly after that. If he noticed Humble, he didn't mention it. He's a pretty typical college-age guy, and so was eager to get our bedroom activities. And I was eager for anything to get my mind off of Humble, so we got straight to it. Fuck. I decided that if I could still find the will to box up Humble in the morning, I'd just ask Sean to do it for me. And I woke up the next morning in a considerably better mood, courtesy of the previous night's afterglow. Fucking. Sean was still sound asleep beside me, per usual, and then I remembered Humble, and that I would have to move him to make my coffee, and I thought about waking Sean up for it, but told myself I was being ridiculous, and to just do it myself. <laughs> but when I opened my bedroom door and looked into my kitchenette, Humble, 
was gone. And so was the cookie. <laughs> My first thought was well, that Sean <laughs> must have moved him at some point, but that only... But the only time he was ever out of bed was to use the washroom, which was adjacent to the bedroom, and he didn't attach, and that didn't attach to the living area. He had proven himself time and time again to be completely incapable of getting out of bed without waking me up, so there was no way he went out there while I was sleeping. Even if he had, he never would have cleaned up the cookie. He might have eaten it, but then he would have gone for more and left the package out. I know, I know I'm making him sound... I'm not making him sound great here, but he's mostly a, uh, a bang buddy, and I'm not planning on us being a long-term thing. <laughs> Fucking... I immediately started searching for Humble, trying to find where in my tiny apartment he possibly could have gone when I heard a notification from my phone, specifically the one I had set for texts from my sister, and, I, and the sudden dread swept over me, a fear of something that should have been impossible somehow becoming the only conceivable explanation. And I picked up my phone and swiped it over, and when I clicked on the messages, I saw a photo of Humble sitting on my sister's bed Fuck. with the accompanying text, Humble's back. He wants me to tell you that Santa says thanks for the blue blueberry cookie. Chocolate chips his favorite, but it was still yummy. I was in shock. After that, I didn't know what to think. How could someone have stolen the doll, brought it back here, snuck it out again, and then brought it to home without leaving any sort of evidence? And why? <laughs> I got another text from my mom later who seemed content to write the whole thing off as me and my sister playing a trick on her as payback for everything she ever made us believe about the doll, and I insisted we weren't, but soon gave up. I couldn't blame my mom for thinking that. It's it's what I would have thought if I was in her position. I wish I had been in her position instead of trying to figure out if I was being stalked, haunted, or possessed by a doll, or just going insane. I was able to rule out the first option fairly quickly. I set up my phone to record the living room during the night. Nobody came in the front door, and there wasn't the slightest sound of anyone coming in through any of the windows. Yet, come morning, there was Humble cozied up in the camera's blind spot. There was no way anyone could have put him there. I still couldn't move him, though, and I was still... And I was I was through talking to him. This time, Sean did ask about the doll, but all I told him was, It's my sister's, don't touch it. And he shrugged it off. I set up my phone to record Humble that night, but it automatically restarted for updates, and Humble's escaped back to my sister was unseen. It's been going on like this for weeks now, Humble going back and forth between me and my sister, and I've had Sean over every night, but I didn't tell him why though, just that I was stressed with exams and the holidays and that I needed the dopamine boost, and that I wanted as much time together as possible before the Christmas break split us up. He didn't complain. I don't know what I thought he was protecting me from. Humble was just a doll, and he never shown any signs that he meant me any harm. He was just a scout elf doing his job, and it's funny that the phenomenon that was causing me so much terror was delighting my sister, and would have delighted me when I was younger. To Jenna, a toy moving on its own was all part of holiday magic. To me, it was an omen that the world did not operate the way I thought it did, and forced me to question my very sanity. Yesterday, Friday the 20th, was the last day of classes. Humble was with my sister and my boyfriend caught an overnight greyhound to his family, so it was the first night in nearly three weeks that I was on my own. My plan was to drive back to my family on Saturday since I didn't want to drive that far in the dark. This would of course mean I'd be left alone with Humble when he returned in the morning, which I coped with through my normal weekly ritual of excessive underage drinking. 
I woke up this morning, like I do most Saturdays, with a mild to moderate hangover and only a vague recollection of the previous night. I reached over to try to nudge my boyfriend to get some coffee, only to remember he wasn't there. And I groaned and forced myself out of bed, stumbled out into the living area, and just as I expected, I'm greeted by Humble. Except that today, he's leaning up against the front door. I can't leave the apartment. Not without moving him. I was trapped. I completely broke down then, dropping to my knees and sobbing, demanding to know why he was tormenting me like this. I hadn't done anything other than grown up. And that's when I realized that, since I was crying and screaming at a doll, maybe I wasn't as grown up as I thought. I had thought that taking on five figures in student loans, getting shit-faced at least once a week, and settling for a practical boyfriend had all meant that I was an adult, but I guess I was wrong. Humble was supposed to get his power from the love of the child who owned him, and that used to be me. I guess that by never overcoming my reluctance to move him, I never really broke that bond, and he was legitimately split between me and Jenna. That was really it then, wasn't it? All I had to do was shove him aside. I could even just ask someone to come over, and when they came in, Humble would just be pushed out of the way, but even that felt wrong, somehow. As harrowing as this entire experience has been, there was still some part of me that was enchanted by the magic of it all, a part of me that most people lost a long time ago, and it was a part that I still wasn't ready to give up. And what about Jenna? My sweet little sister who loves her elf doll and still wanted to share him with me so much that she'd know I'd be safe on my own. I couldn't take away her experiencing actual Christmas magic, could I? I took another photo of Humble and I texted it to Jenna, explaining that he had trapped me inside and I wouldn't be coming home until tomorrow. She understood completely she would never dare to move Humble either, of course. A few minutes later, I got a call from my mom and she was livid. She thought I was just too hungover to come home, ranting about how this was going to throw off the holiday plans and what an irresponsible drunk I was turning into. Considering that I'm presently coping with the whole incident by dipping into a bottle of sherry schnapps I got a, as an early Christmas gift, I can't say that she's actually wrong. I'm still in my apartment right now. Humble hasn't moved, of course, and I can't force myself to move him. I'm not mad at him. I don't think he's doing this to hurt me. I just think he honestly believes I'm still one of the kids and he's doing his job the best he can. Today's been rough, but tomorrow will be better. He'll head back to my sister, I'm sure. Why wouldn't he? That's what he's been doing for the past three weeks. He'll be out of my way and I'll be able to leave and head back home. My mom will have calmed down and just be happy to have me home. and Everything will be perfect, though she'll probably try to talk to me into going dry January with her. All that matters is that with me and my sister under the same roof, Humble will stay put until Christmas Eve. And then this nightmare before Christmas will all be over. At least until next year. Maybe by then I'll be a little bit more grown up. Show me something natural, the ass with some stretch marks. Yeah. Sit down. Be humble. Yep. Sit down. That's, that's what he said. It's like a mini Kendrick Lamar on your shelf. <laughs> I'd, I'd be okay with that. I think that it would be fun. pretty cool. He's a good artist. That was, a, that was a cute little story. Yeah, I like that. I felt really involved. S scary, but... Yeah. I guess... I guess no scarier than, like, Gremlins, you know? Like, it's unexplained, but, like, really, you just kind of wish it away as magic. I was kind of, like, scared that, like, he would wake up Christmas uh, 
he would wake up the next day and Humble would be like in bed. <laughs> That's what I thought when she said. And he, she and he would have to move it. He would have to move it at that point, and then like something would just come in and like fucking kill him like right away. Instantly. Almost like an unlucky type of curse or something. Yeah. See, near the end, I feel like the reason Humble was telling her to stay home is because she is an alcoholic, and maybe he was stopping her from getting in like a car accident or something. Wait, <laughs> he was like protecting her. Was was that a girl the whole time? Yes. Oh, I thought it was like a boy, and I was like, oh, it's a story with two gay people. <laughs> nope, no, never. That was a girl. Yep, great. Yeah. Sorry. It's alright. We can believe. I mean, it didn't change anything, subjectively speaking. <laughs> it didn't change anything. It just changes, you know. You move humble, Mariah Carey comes out <laughs> crawling. <laughs> I'm still relevant! <coughs> Shit. Cherry schnapps. Gross. Probably the worst choice she could have gone with. She'll learn that with age. Anyway, we're we're moving forward. It's it's your turn again. Oh, we got Santa's. Come back to frowns now. We got Santa's other workshop. Oh, <laughs> was, I don't this know. This is the BDSM shop. <laughs> I was gonna say, what do you? This is the one he hides from Mrs. Claus. Uh, yeah. <laughs> also from Creepypasta. It's a Creepypasta Christmas, ladies and gents. It, it's a Creepy Potter Christmas. <laughs> Hail Satan. <laughs> Hail Satan. <sighs> Perpetual darkness lingered at the top of the world. Thick ice, frigid air, and snow covered the lifeless mountainscape. However, the endless night did not go unchallenged. A single source of light illuminated the sky and drove back the darkness. Nestled between two snow-covered mountains, a little cottage sat with puffy, billowing smoke. <laughs> Rising from its chimney, its Snoop Dogg's tour bus, ignoring the fact that the nearest civilization was thousands of miles away. To the casual eye, the house was simply a warm and welcoming house. Still, one might ask themselves, What an odd thing to find in such a big place. <laughs> How could such a thing come to be? Or maybe maybe it would be better to read that in Morgan Freeman voice since you're doing a fucking Planet Earth documentary over here. Still. Which I'm a fan of. One might ask themselves. What an odd thing to find in such a bleak place. How could such a thing come to be? Like most things found in the North Pole, not everything is as it appears. The land was unforgiving and cruel. It could take your life within minutes. Only a select number of creatures were given permission to live in this harsh and relentless wilderness. All others who entered this domain did it of their own accord, such as the residents of this tiny little home. However, these individuals were like no other, and with a little bit of magic at their disposal. They lived happy and joyful lives. Sir Richard Attenborough, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> At first glance, you might see. <laughs> a 
flaccid cock. But if you rub it just with a little bit of magic, notice how it changes into a enlarged bulbous penis. Bulbous penis. Penis. At first glance, <laughs> it would. It would appear. It would appear it was nothing more than a simple, ordinary home inhabited by an elderly couple who lived, who lived, who loved each other dearly. If this were your conclusion, it would be mistaken. In reality, a magical secret existed below, for the small house was much more than meets the eye. The little house was not just a home, but the tip of a magical workshop hidden beneath the ice. For centuries, children around the world found joy from the efforts of the hidden workshop. All year round, tiny magical hands toiled and labored to create toys and playthings for all the good children of the world. Elves, the last of the magical creatures from old dwelt within its walls and used their mag their mystical nature to create wondrous and joyful playthings for Christmas morning. Three days after, the winter solstice, the old man would put on his heavy coat and boots, take to the air and deliver his Christmas joy to every last child. Like everything in the cosmos, there must be a balance. For every night there must be a day, every beginning has an end, and with every kind child there was a naughty little boy or girl to be found. Far below the bright lights, singing and happy elves creating and building new and fantastic toys, there was another workshop. There the warmth of the hearthstones could not reach while the purpose of the upper workshop was to bring happiness. The other was dark and sterile. It too had a purpose. It was here where the masses of cheap and easily broken toys were made. Your Dollar General, for instance. <laughs> Your Chinatown wonder figures. <laughs> the lead is still in these products. <laughs> Put them in your mouth. Suck on them and die. There was no love put into these objects. It was lead. <laughs> Never would a child's eyes brighten with wonder and awe upon seeing these gifts on Christmas morning. Merry Christmas, Franz. I got you a brick of lead. <laughs> hey, Hamilton, have a holly jolly Christmas. <laughs> Look at my piggy. Evelyn, get the fuck away from me. I have to return some video tapes. <coughs> Where are you going? <laughs> I have to return some video tapes. I have to return some video tapes. I have to go stab a dog in the alley and his homeless man. <laughs> I curb stomped the dog. I stabbed the homeless man. And then I watched inside Lydia's ass while I vigorously <laughs> masturbated and tried to get a reservation at Dorsey's. <laughs> Good. Thanks. Oh, excuse me. In his wisdom, the old man knew that even a naughty child should not be forgotten during this time of goodwill. However, the old man was no fool and had no desire to waste his resources on such unsatisfying tasks. This responsibility was handed to the banished and exiled elves that inhabited the deepest bowels of their workshop. Those were 
those with selfish hearts and greedy desires. Stripped of their immortality, they wasted away in the dark with only the trinkets and flimsy materials to pass the time. Erga Ita sat in the poorly lit corner of the tattered workbench. His focus was entirely devoted to the old and worn piece of brass in his hands. The clangs of his hammer hitting the metal rang out and echoed through the dark halls and passageways. He pounded the brass sheet relentlessly until the metal slowly began to surrender its shape and bend to Ergar's design. Suddenly, the hammer flew out of the Mad Elf's grasp. He examined his limp hand, trying to, trying to will it back to his control. Fury filled his heart as he watched the necrotic flesh sloughed off his bony hand. He didn't have much time. His other hand was weak, but still capable of grasp. He reached into his toolbox and removed a long, warped nail and stabbed it into the back of his paralyzed hand. He pushed on the nail head until its tip broke through the skin and emerged through his palm. Immediately, the pain surged and shot up his arm. The thick and rigid tendons loosened within his hand, giving him temporary use of his digits once more. The elf picked up his hammer and resumed molding the shape of the brass plate. With each impact upon the brass, he poured his rage into his creation. How ironic that the product of his tireless work was meant for the ones he hated the most. His deteriorating body was fading fast. He possessed just enough magic to fuel the curse he would cast upon the object. When finished, his gift would be placed with the other junk toys and cheap trinkets. It would make its way to them and find a child on Christmas morning. The curse will take hold and slowly begin tearing apart their lives. It will channel their essence back into him and reignite his immortality. The object would pass from one child, then to another, century after century. He had just enough magic left to invoke his curse. Ergar had once lived and worked above, like any other elf before him. He loved nothing more than to create beautiful and wondrous toys and gizmos. However, in his heart, he wished that he could keep some of his creations for himself. Why not? Why shouldn't I keep it? <laughs> I think you've had it long enough. You want it for yourself? Boom! Boom! Shout out to my favorite toy on my shelf, Bilbo Transfix. <laughs> oh, that's great. One day, his eyes fell upon a beautiful music box his friend, Delhella, had created. The music box was extraordinary meant as a gift to a king's firstborn. It was magnificent. Crafted from oak wood, it bore an elaborate gold design on each of its sides. When opened, a figurine of three children danced hand in hand to a beautiful lullaby around a magnificent Christmas tree. 
get your boots and your coat for this wet ass pussy. <laughs> Great. I believe the song was called WAP. W A P. W A P. Wet ass pussies. Unable to sleep and anxious to put the finishing touches on his prize creation. Oh, I am. Erga Ita had never desired anything more in his entire life. It filled his heart with jealousy. He became resentful that his precious and rare treasure would go to an undeserving infant human. The little girl didn't deserve it. It should go to him, he thought. So, under the cover of darkness, Ergar slipped into the work area and took the music box. Unable to sleep and anxious to put his finishing touches on his prized creation, Diella decided to return to the workshop. To his surprise and shock, he caught the elf attempting to steal the special music box. Dalela was enraged, for greed and thievery amongst elves were extremely offensive and not tolerated. Ergar begged his friend not to report his transgression, but Dahela was unmoved by the pleas and turned to tell the others of Ergar's crime. Desperate, Ergar did the only thing left for him to do. He grabbed a hammer and brought it down on his friend's head over and over again until no more life remained in the broken body. Well, here I go killing again. <laughs> here we go, boys. <laughs> Despite his meticulous efforts to conceal his crime, he could not escape the sight and wisdom of the old man. Humiliated and dishonored, the elf was banished from the workshop and his precious music box was taken from him and given to the little princess. Stripped of his immortality, Erga Ita was cast and given into the cold and dark corridors of the other workshop to spend his remaining days, never to create a beautiful thing again. As the seasons passed, his hatred for all children grew and ate away at his sanity. He gritted his teeth, knowing that the children of man were given everything and he had nothing. Hunched over his work, Erga feverishly worked to complete his masterpiece. He stared down at the anvil and hammered down on the brass. Each strike brought the faces of a child into his mind. It lives in warmth. The blunt hammer formed the metal into a hollow cylinder. It stuffs its face with sweets and treats. Stumpy legs were welded into place. It gets everything it asks from mummy and daddy. A malformed head and a crooked ears took shape. It gets anything its little heart desires. The brass surface was scrubbed of debris and grime. It gets everything it wants. Small turquoise stones were fixed to the brass body. I hate it. One glimmering red ruby stone was bound to the left side of the figurine's head. I hate it. Finally, a second red ruby was embedded into the surface of the 
faces other side. I hate them all. What about Erga? What a, what about me? <laughs> One hand, like. <laughs> In the glow of the fire, Erga held up the brass figurine. It was a disturbing representation of a rabbit. Its body was a lattice of crisscrossed brass straps bejeweled with a pale turquoise stone at each intersection. Its head was malformed and gave the impression of a dead thing instead of a pleasant rabbit, full of life. He placed the atrocious thing upon an open silver locket that contained a mirror on each side of the hinged inner sides. With the rabbit figurine facing one of the mirrors, he carefully opened a vial that had held clear liquid. It was lymph. The lymph from an elf was the source of magic that flowed through their bodies, like the blood, like that of blood from a second set of unique arteries found within its own circulatory system and pumped by a very special second heart. Only a few tiny drops fell out of the vial. It splashed into the figurine and mirrored locket illuminated and mirrored locket illuminating them with a golden glow. Ergar closed his eyes and spoke the words of Wormwood in his elven tongue. The clear liquid turned black and stained the surface of both the rabbit statue, statuette and silver locket. The glow turned a deep purple and then slowly faded. Pleased with the outcome, he gently placed a cloth over the object without making eye contact to obscure it from sight, and ever so carefully placed it in a small box decorated with holiday cheer. Finished with his work, Ergar turned to leave, pushing past the corpses of other several elves hanging upside down from the support beams of the other workshop. Their lifeless bodies drained completely of every last drop of magical lymph slit from their throats. Ergar's calculation had been correct. He had just enough magic to fuel the curse placed on the object. The mad elf smiled and began to laugh. For the first time in a very long time, Ergar Itar's heart filled with anticipation of the approach of Christmas morn. The little girl sat in a large pile of torn wrapping paper from the many gifts she had found under the Christmas tree. On the morning of December 22nd, Gabby awoke earlier than everyone else. She went downstairs and glared at the many presents that continuously tempted her. It was as if they teased her and mocked her every time she had looked at the colorful and beautiful wrapping paper. She would receive such a terrible scolding from her parents, but she couldn't wait any longer. At first, it would only be one gift she opened, and then it became two, and then another, and another. Before she knew it, all of her presents had been opened. Despite getting everything she asked for, the desire for more was still not satisfied. When Gabby stood, a small gift next to the base of the Christmas tree caught her eye. She could have sworn it had not been there before. The wrapping paper was worn and yellowed with age. Written in big words was a tag that said, To Gabriella. It was like no other, and she surely would have seen it before. Puzzled, 
She removed the wrapping paper and found a box that contained a smaller sealed box and a scroll. She opened the scroll and read, Congratulations, lucky one. You're the proud owner of Pepe the Rabbit. Pepe loves you and will be your best friend in the whole world. Pepe is a friend like no other, and he will give you everything your heart desires. The scroll read, To be Pepe's friend, you must listen to him and never disobey the following instructions. Number one, place Pepe on his locket facing the mirror. Number two, never look Pepe in the eyes. He is ever so bashful and only likes to see you through his mirror. Number three, you may ask anything of Pepe three times. In three days' time, he will grant any and all you asked of him. Number four, never look Pepe in the eyes. It bears repeating. He does not like it and will be upset if you disobey this rule. Remember, lucky little boy or girl, Pepe loves you. He loves you more than anyone else in the whole wide world. Pepe will make sure that no one will hurt you ever again. And if you love Pepe, you will listen to him and do whatever he asks of you. Pepe loves you, and no one can ever come between you and him. Pepe loves you. I think that's it. It's an interesting ending to what started as like a really good story. Yeah. That was wild. It's also crazy to believe that Santa Claus doesn't have, like, some type of security system for, like, pissed-off former co-workers. <laughs> like, he doesn't inspect any of the toys that get sent to people. <laughs> you oh, know? I was gonna say... like, oh, I, I did dispel magic on this uh, on this box here, uh, Erga, and I gotta tell you, this uh, present is cursed as fuck. I'm, you, gonna, I'm gonna have to go ahead and kill you now. <laughs> like, you, you mean, like, he's he's just sitting in front of, like, a hundred cameras all like looking at like <laughs> elves working, elves pissing in the bathroom, yeah. and then there's just one of Ergot and he's like, Oh fuck! And just like <laughs> runs down to Ergot, you slimy fuck! I should have killed you long ago! Ergot's going postal on the children again. <laughs> I can't see him past Not my robe! <laughs> Goddamn narcolepsy! <laughs> they make me an immortal being when I fall asleep! <laughs> That's what I get for only working one day a year. <laughs> Mrs. Hey. Claus, pass me the butter. I'm stuck between the door. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's if started as a fun story, and I really enjoyed how you read it because it, it read like an old Christmas tale. I just I hoped it had gone in a different direction. I feel like I feel like the the gift is a is a is a twist. I feel like he's trying to get people to look into the to the eyes of the the thing mm-hmm. and so it's a it's a you know it's a double it's a double twist for being in possession of it you probably are cursed and then from looking at it it probably saps your health a little bit probably because it has to transmute that health back to Ergo somehow that's what yeah which which makes sense whenever you know there's no real resolution to his story i just assume that out there somewhere is a little locket with a little deformed-looking rabbit, which we weirdly saw a picture of. Yeah, so, so it like, has to be a real it's thing. It's like someone who looked at it and was just like, this is fucked up <coughs> enough to write a story about, but what type of story? <coughs> ah, Christmas elves that get pissed off at their boss. Oh, fuck! <laughs> yeah, pretty much. 
I feel like this last story here uh, that I'm going to read is dedicated to Harold Heavyhands because he, he likes to read stories with Klaus. And ironically, this last one's called Santa Claus. Harold, you slimy fuck! It's <laughs> a good way to describe him. Santa Claus. Claus. From Creepypasta. Are they all creepypastas? They were. They were all creepypastas. And you know what? It's been a creepy Christmas. Thanks again, uh, Danny Boy. Danny Boy. These stories were great. Stories These were good. Were great. I didn't like. Stories were good. I didn't turn to death at the end of it when I was like, "Wow, I just don't want to be here anymore." <laughs> I don't want to. Yeah, yeah. I don't I quite want to die as much. <laughs> you also didn't fall asleep either, which is the, the polar opposite. Ergot, you fuck! Take me out. <laughs> Send me your rabbit. Santa Claus. For most children, Christmas is a celebration worth looking forward to. For 13-year-old Evan, it was something to fear. Evan still remembered his seventh Christmas Eve clearly, an evening that he, like most children, had been looking forward to for a long time. The next morning, he would get up early and open all of his presents, eager to see what surprises Santa had left for him. Evan imagined the restless night ahead and thought, if he listened hard, he might be able to hear Santa come down the chimney. But this Christmas Eve didn't go all to plan. It wasn't long before Evan's excitement gave way to horror. Mum had insisted that Santa wouldn't come if Evan stayed up late, and she had just began sending him off to bed when Evan was distracted by a loud, muffled thump on the roof. It seemed to be coming directly above the fireplace. It was like in Night Before Christmas. <laughs> there arose such a clatter, and Evan approached the chimney to see what was the matter. Was it now that Santa had decided to make an appearance? I really hope I get the read I'll let you do it okay. if it happens. Santa Claus. <laughs> Ash, <laughs> Ash, Ash was falling from the nooks and crannies of the chimney to the bottom of the fireplace, sending out charcoal smoke and a burnt smell. Something, someone, had to be disturbing the ash. Evan was alone. Who else went down the chimney at the time on Christmas Eve? The chimney rattled and a deep, rolling voice hit the air. Santa's famous. Ho, ho, ho! Echoed down the chimney as Evan watched in delight. Things were silent for a moment. Evan's mother stood behind him watching. Then arose the biggest clatter yet. Oh, fuck! <laughs> there was an explosion of grayish smoke as mountains of ash fell to the bottom of the fireplace. The fireplace shook as if there was sudden earthquake. Then, amidst the grayness, there was a flash of red and a tremendous thump. Fuck! <laughs> Had Santa made it? Evan rushed forward, unable to stop himself, and he felt a flare of excitement, but Mum was first to the chimney. Evan tried to remember the last time his mother had expressed excitement and couldn't. Then the smoke cleared, and the fallen Santa came into view. He didn't have quite the belly Evan had expected, but this was the least of his observations. Evan gasped as he saw that Santa's beard had appeared to slide off during his fall, but there was no blood. The only blood came from Santa's head, and it was just a trickle. The bad thing was that the trickle of blood was coming from what looked like a big dent in Santa's head. Oh my god, what if it's his dad? Evan frowned. Santa couldn't die. He was too good for that. He couldn't die. Not now. So had somebody played a trick on him? Evan glanced at the beard that appeared to have slid down Santa's face, and beards didn't move like that, at least not 
without there being blood. So then if it wasn't a real beard, it had to be a fake one. But if it was a fake beard, then Santa's suit was also a fake. This wasn't the real Santa. This was Santa in disguise. Evan glanced down once more to the fake Santa's exposed features, trying to figure out who this person could be and make sense of the face that seemed to be familiar to him, and he realized for the first time that Mom had never been so excited. Instead, she rushed to the fake Santa's body in grief. Sobs racked her body, her tears dripping on the fake Santa's suit. Evan stood dumbfounded, choked out one word. Dad? Evan woke up in a cold sweat, bolting upright in a sitting position. He glanced at his watch and read the time 2.19am before the light on his watch went off. He read the date again, December 20th. Only five more days until Christmas. Once upon a time, Evan would have been happy about this, but now he wished that Christmas would never come. It was the same dream again, accurate in every detail. That evening was exactly how it had been in the dream. It never ceased to amaze Evan how vivid these dreams were. They got right down to the core and forced Evan to relive the worst moment in his life. Those goddamn nightmares. They got worse around Christmas. He would dream of that fateful evening his father slept and fell down the chimney, smashing his skull on the way down. Or he would dream of those claws, those razor-sharp strips of polished bone, weapons that sliced through him like butter if they gave so much as a flick. Where did the claws come from? That was the first time they were mentioned. Or he would dream of those claws, those razor-sharp strips of polished bone, Weapons that would slice through him like butter if they gave so much as a flick. I'm confused at why the dad has claws. Oh, fuck! Most kids grew out of their belief in Santa, came to accept that Santa was just another myth made up to make children happy, but Evan hadn't grown out of it. He had been jolted out of it, his belief shattered with the tragic death of his father. Evan's father had only been trying to surprise Evan, but he had done much more than that. He had bent Evan beyond repair, and every Christmas, Santa Claus would haunt Evan. Evan was convinced Santa Claus was some kind of demon in humanoid form. He was definitely not human, he was a supernatural entity of sorts, but Evan had always thought of him as a demon. Santa Claus had been in Evan's life ever since his father died, and though he was the most mostly absent during the year, he would come back around November, maybe late October, when it became nearer to Christmas. Well, he would become more persistent then. There were the nightmares for one thing, and the visions, and Evan had no shortage of seizures around Christmas time, when Santa Claus was at his worst. Sometimes Evan had panic attacks that seemed to come from nowhere, and there was no doubt who had caused them. Evan was no stranger to bullying at school because of his seizures and his strong dislike for Christmas. Santa Claus had taken its toll on Evan. Evan knew that Santa Claus had, in some way, been triggered by his father's death. Sometimes Evan believed that Santa Claus was actually his father's ghost, turned evil in the existence of the afterlife. Even Evan wasn't one to believe in the supernatural, but Santa Claus had changed his mind about a lot of things. After a while, Evan had been forced to accept that Santa Claus was always going to come back. Even if Evan grew out of his own personal dislike for Christmas, he would never have a joyful Christmas ever again. It was Christmas that had caused his father's death. It was Christmas that had caused Santa Claus to come. 
Evan's head flopped back onto his pillow. School had finished weeks before, but Evan was still dreading the next day and every day to come until Christmas. What Evan was looking forward to was the absence of Santa Claus. Santa Claus would hang around for a bit after Christmas, then he'd slowly fade away, and Evan would be free of his presence between February and November. Then he could forget about Christmas, pretend it never existed, but no matter what, Santa Claus would always come back. And Evan was sure he would never be free of his demonic existence again. <clears throat> kind of like the first story. Mm-hmm. Evan woke early and rolled out of bed, opening his laptop without bothering to draw the curtains or turn on the light. He wanted to go online, check his Facebook, play some games, do anything to take his mind off of Christmas, and more importantly... It was an hour or two before bed, Evan sat down to a lazy breakfast of cornflakes, by which time Evan's mother had gotten out of bed. Mum had shut herself out from society a while after she unexpectedly became a widow, developing a strong case of depression. Eventually, she had come to terms with her husband's death and became a more loving mother to Evan than ever, but she still had her bad days. Sometimes Evan wondered whether Santa Claus was in her mind, too. They both supported each other a lot, but Evan couldn't help but feel that the house was lonely every once in a while. Evan had told his mom about Santa Claus for the first few years after his father's death, but then he decided to pretend he just outgrown it. He didn't want to put extra weight on Mum's shoulders, and the last thing he wanted to do was make it seem like he was a child. I bet Mom's getting fucked <coughs> by Santa Claus. By Santa Claus. But Evan couldn't hide the seizures. He couldn't hide the fact that he was sometimes absorbed in a hallucination, often concerning Santa Claus. Evan's mum seemed to blame it on trauma he had received after his father's death. Sure, maybe not all kids would experience that type of trauma, but everyone's different, aren't they? Evan said good morning to Mum and continued to eat his cornflakes. The fireplace was directly to his right, and Evan thought he could catch a glimpse of red out of the corner of his eye. His head turned, nothing. Paranoia. Or maybe Santa Claus was playing tricks on him. Either way, Evan didn't fancy seeing Santa Claus in the flesh. He had seen him already. Five times, to be exact and would see him a sixth time for every Christmas Eve at 8.13pm, the exact time his father had fallen. He appeared in the fireplace, and Evan was always there to watch him make an appearance. It was then that Evan decided that this year, he was going to be prepared. It would be no different to any other year. Santa Claus would appear in the fireplace at exactly the same time as he had the year before, and the year before that, and the year before that year. Mum was never around. She always went to bed early on Christmas Eve, or stayed in bed the entire day. This time, Evan wouldn't be just watching Santa Claus. He'd destroy Santa Claus once and for all. Why hadn't he thought of this before? That's actually in the story. I know it sounds like a thought I've had, but I kid you not, he asks himself, why hadn't he thought of this before? That day, Evan confined himself to the safety of his home, or more specifically, his bedroom. He distracted himself with computer games and other activities while all the time planning how he was going to get rid of Santa Claus when he made an appearance. And before his father died, he'd had a hunting rifle that hung on a hook in the wall, and after his death, it had been hidden away inside his wardrobe, which was, of course, in the bedroom Mum slept in. A gun was Evan's closest shot, and it was the only thing he could think of that might kill Santa Claus. Uh, what else was he supposed to do? 
shout a few defiant words and attack Santa Claus with his bare hands. Turn his hands into a bunch of dildos and come at him like a <laughs> Right. That wasn't at the top of my list, but you know, it's definitely an option. If I was Santa Claus, that. Oh, fuck! <laughs> his dead father's old hunting rifle was the only gun possible for Evan to obtain. And the only problem was getting it out of the wardrobe without his mother catching him, and she was sure to get suspicious if she, she saw him taking a gun out of the wardrobe. This proved to be an easier task than Evan thought, however. When Mum went out to do some shopping, Evan went straight to the wardrobe doors and started burrowing through the clothes. It was then that he experienced the seizure. The seizure was upon him. Oh, fuck! Evan... <laughs> Evan had just caught sight of the gun when a sudden jolt ran through his body. His muscles were paralyzed, his joints frozen in place. Evan was unable to do anything but stare helplessly as he fell backwards onto the wooden floor. Electricity ran through his body, which was now twitching madly on the floor. Shadows danced in front of his eyes as the vis visions began. He saw his father, now an ash-covered skeleton wearing a Santa hat, leering down at him through empty eye sockets. He saw a Christmas tree decorated with bloodied limbs, organs, and what looked like unraveled intestines. He saw claws curling in front of his eyes, claws that would cut him in two if he did so much as blink. Evan came to just as he heard the car pulling into the driveway. Frantically, his eyes darted around, searching for the hunting rifle. Something thin and black poking out from the pile of clothes caught his eyes. The rifle. He snatched it up and bolted towards his room, not remembering to close the wardrobe door. He had just reached his bedroom when Mum opened the front door. I'm not scared of you anymore. I'm not scared of you anymore. It wasn't until his mother called out to him an hour or so later, Evan, have you been through my wardrobe? That Evan remembered he had neglected to close the wardrobe door. Uh, yeah. Evan replied, thinking quickly. I was looking for a jacket, you know, since all of my other ones are too small. It's pretty cold with the snow and all. Evan was proud his voice didn't so much as quiver because of this mum didn't pursue the subject any longer. Did you look through my silky drawers? In that one day, Evan experienced the seizure inside the wardrobe, frequent flashes of movement out of the corner of his eye and a brief hallucination. Usually it was worse around this time, but Evan had it lucky. The nightmares didn't improve that night. The next day, Evan realized he had no bullets for the rifle. He had forgotten to find some in the panic to get out of the room before his mother saw. Mum didn't go out that day, but Evan decided to have a look through the wardrobe anyway, and if she asked, he'd make up the same lie as yesterday. And after some serious rummaging, he found three stray bullets hidden in the corner of the wardrobe in a plastic casing, and this time, he didn't forget to close the wardrobe door. He put the bullets in his pocket in case Mum should ever enter the hallway, but she didn't. The plan was looking successful. That day, Santa Claus talked to Evan. The words were spoken inside Evan's head, but Evan knew well who they belonged to. Evan found he couldn't remember most of the speech afterwards, but knew it had something to do with Evan's plan to kill Santa Claus. Of course, Santa Claus could get inside Evan's head. So why shouldn't he be able to read Evan's thoughts? This was what he had done. Still, Evan wasn't prepared to give up so quickly. That day, he might have seen a lot of things that weren't there, but Evan kept his thoughts on that loaded rifle. On the 22nd of December, Evan not only heard Santa Claus and experienced his visions, but also felt Santa Claus on his own flesh. 
At one point, it felt like a cat was running up the claws on his arm, but there was no one there. Still, and that didn't stop blood from flowing. When Mum asked him what had happened to his arm, he said that Stormo had scratched it off, as Evan had an old cat, tabby cat named Stormo that was no stranger to his scratches. Mum didn't notice the seizures and hallucinations simply because Evan confined himself to his room all day. It was a pitiful existence, but Evan knew he had to do it to avoid suspicion. Mum blamed it on what had happened with his father, relating it to past trauma, and as a consequence, feeling the need to shut himself away with the experience had been related to. Christmas. Evan didn't have any problems with this. The 23rd passed quickly, but the 24th was the worst day he had experienced so far. He spent much of his time being tormented by the demonic presence of Santa Claus, his frightening messages ringing in his ears. Once Mum walked into the room while he was having a seizure on his bed, but was able to avoid suspicion by saying he was in the middle of a nightmare. Time dragged on. As Evan became more and more tormented, Evan's mother went to bed early, as she normally did on Christmas Eve, and this left Evan two more hours until Santa Claus made an appearance. Every past year, Evan had been at the fireplace at 8.13, but this was because Santa Claus had willed him to be there. <coughs> he had felt his legs move and had been unable to stop them. Santa Claus wanted Evan to be there to see him in his flesh. This was why Evan made sure he had his rifle clutched tightly in his hands before the time came. Evan glanced at his watch nervously. No, he was past nervous. He was terrified. 8.13 came and nothing happened. But at the 22nd mark, he felt his legs moving down the hallway towards the lounge. He, his hands opened the lounge door. He approached the fireplace. The curtains were drawn. The lights were out. It was dark and Evan could see nothing save the silhouette of Santa Claus in the fireplace. Evan could see the outline of a Santa hat on his head and was no stranger to the claws that hung out at the shadow's side, and Evan felt the presence of Santa Claus, knew that Santa Claus would soon be illuminated by, by ghostly light, and Evan would be able to see him in the flesh, Santa Claus. Then he would raise the gun pull the trigger, and it would be over. Or so he hoped. Evan stood there for what seemed like forever, then the empty, bleeding eye sockets came into view. That white, almost transparent skin, the sharp, bloodied set of teeth that showed from behind slimy lips, the tattered Santa suit smeared with blood of innocent victims, and worst of all, the long, knife-sharp set of claws that hung at each side. Evan was terrified. He stood paralyzed with fear as Santa Claus grinned and raised his hands toward him. Evan was unable to move, unable to do anything but watch as the claws came closer and closer to reaching him. It was too late to shoot now. It was all over. But as Evan stood frozen, his muscles stiffened and his finger tightened around the trigger and there's a terrific bang and a blinding flash of light in the world. Fate to black. He came. He killed himself. He came. Evan woke to mom shaking him <clears throat> frantically and he blinked trying to figure out what had happened and then he remembered. He killed Santa Claus. Mum said that she had heard a bang and come to see what the noise was and when she saw that Evan was holding the hunting rifle her first thought was that Evan had shot himself but 
she had seen that there was no noticeable bullet wound and Evan was still clearly breathing. Evan was exhausted, but too happy to com comment. His face broke into a smile. I did it, he whispered. Mum looked concerned. You're not well, Evan. You're going to a doctor as soon as possible. I, I worry about you. I killed Santa Claus, Evan babbled, oblivious to his mother's concerns. He was overcome with joy that Santa Claus would be no longer in his life. I'm not just worried about you, Evan. I'm also quite angry with you, Mum said, his eyebrows knitting into a scowl. Somehow, you vandalized the fireplace. It looks like something out of a horror movie. And Evan frowned. I never vandalized the fireplace, Mum sighed. Then how do you explain that? She said, pointing. And Evan twisted his head around to face the fireplace. Solid, crimson letters had been written on the brick wall behind the fireplace. The paint looked fresh, and Evan could see it still trickling down the wall, but not paint. Evan realized. Blood. Ho. 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 I'm coming for you. Her, her, her. I'm coming for you. <laughs> and that's it. That was the Frowns McBoohoo creepypasta episode. It just feels like every other episode. <laughs> what? You, you need to give it more control. I need to give up more control. I need to, I need I need to, to be do sitting less. In, I need to be sitting in your scene. I need to start it. And I need to say, you're my special guest. That's never going to happen. Um, it's my product. Uh, yeah, I'm you the see, one, you see this, I'm you the see one this, guys. who does all the fucking yeah, work. You see this, guys? It's my episode, but it's not my episode. But it's my episode, but it's not my episode. And it's mm, and it's mm, and it's mm, 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 And my tits are shaking in the seat as I shake like a Santa in the story. Because I shake, shake, shake. I'm disappointed in you. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah. You know what's going to be real sorry? Your bank account when my lawyer hears about this shit. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm going to fucking call my lawyer right now. Yeah. My phone's in the other room. I'm going to call him when this episode's over. You're going to watch this. You're going to be sued like you've never been sued in your life, buddy. <laughs> I don't know where this is coming from. And your whole, your whole essence, your whole being is going to be fucking free real estate. <laughs> It's free real estate. It's free real estate. That was fun. Stories were great. Stories were great. It was a good Christmas episode. Yeah. For once, I liked the Christmas stories. I don't know where those stories were the last time we've tried to do Christmas episodes, but they were a lot better than the ones we've read before. That's that's really all I that's really all I gathered. From, from this episode. Maybe we need to start leaving it to our fans to give us our holiday stories. I mean, Danny Danny submits so many stories, so I know that he's going to continue doing whatever the fuck he wants. Um, good on you, Danny boy. Keep doing you. Um, I definitely appreciated the stories. They were, they were a good read this year. So, you know. I tip my hat to you, sir. He tips his tip to you, Danny I boy. I tip my pinging to you, sir. <laughs> I tippeth mine pinizzle. Great. It may not be hooked, 
like a witch's finger. But I will do my best. <laughs> you know some dicks are like that. Oh, absolutely. It's frightening. You know some dicks are like pencil thin? How crazy is Chris that? Chris Brown. It's like 11 inches, but like super thin. <coughs> That's crazy. It's crazy. Okay, well maybe not pencil thin, but like, you know, like... Yeah, I'm gonna keep that to myself. The analyzation that I was just doing with my hands—that <laughs> doesn't need to be said li- loud and live on on this podcast. <laughs> As Franz does soup can-sized hands, right? Whoa. The hey, hey, God, God granted me. All right, I'm just, I'm just, I'm here, I'm here to serve. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> Hashtag blessed this Christmas season. Fa la 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 la. <coughs> Hashtag thoughts and prayers for crooked cocks. Whoa. <laughs> like a witch's finger it was, I saw. And you're back to the witch's finger. <laughs> All right. Great. You gonna close out the episode? You gonna, you gonna well, guys, that? thanks for coming to my, like, partly show, you know. You know, I'm really, I'm really great. If my... I talked less, we would sit here with tons of silence. You know. <laughs> You're only proving my point. You know, I just want to, I just want I just want to say thank you. Should I have been more everyone. like you? Should I have been more like you on this episode? There's only one friend. Oh, so there's only so I'm here, and you didn't even introduce me. You didn't. My name's Captain Death. I'm here to read these bullshit fucking stories because I'm gay, <laughs> and I'm loud, and I have too much for you to handle. And that is what you need to listen to, ladies and gentlemen. You need to listen to me on this episode because I'm telling you right now. The witch's finger <laughs> from around the corner. <laughs> Alright, so that was lots of pasta. Thanks for listening. And, uh, um, this episode 192 with Franz McBoohoo. The mandate. The man himself. The man. The myth. The clown. <laughs> <laughs> right. And uh, this was some very merry pastas. Part 7. I hope everyone had a wonderful Christmas, and I hope we continue moving into this new year with a uh, uh, good spirit. You know, remember, <coughs> still burping up that garlic aioli. Mm. I hope we move into 2021 remembering that we have uh, a good, you know, we have good heads on our shoulders. We're, we're coming into a new year. Let's start it off fresh. We're hydrated. All right. We're ready. And we're always remember. Always. And we're able. Always remember that we have episodes up on YouTube, Spotify, SoundCloud, MixCloud, fucking Google Play Podcasts, whatever that shit's called now because it's not called the same thing anymore. I don't fucking care. And you give us a follow. You give us a like. You like this fucking track, okay? And always remember. Stay woke! Santa's creeping out. <laughs> he gon' bring you some Christmas presents. Oh, stay woke. Unless you're naughty. Unless you're sleeping. Oh, he gonna fist you. Stocking with some coal. Oh. That's good. <laughs>
Yeah, fuck it, kitty, I'm true. Atlanta till we stand at the shore.